Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. With the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back. Once again, and we will be breaking down everything that happened in the world of WWE for the penultimate time here in 2023 with the year coming to a close. We have an absolutely loaded show for you as always today. We actually have an absolutely loaded end of the month here at the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. And as we get into today's show, allow me to give you a heads up on what is to come from getting over as 2023 wraps up. Of course, we are talking WWE on today's show. We will be back on Thursday with your next NXT and AEW episode. But surprise, we will come back on Friday with our final WWE episode of the year. We will tape it shortly after SmackDown goes off the air, and it will also serve as somewhat of an ultimate preview for WWE Day 1, the special edition of Monday Night Raw on January 1st. We're going to do this because there is not a live Raw next Monday. It is instead going to be a best of show. So by giving you an extra WWE episode on Friday, all of a sudden next Tuesday opens up to be your 2023 year in review episode. We'll then follow on Thursday with your AEW World's End Ultimate Preview. We'll also talk NXT on that episode, and we'll wrap up 2023 with your AEW World's End Instant Analysis Saturday night as soon as that show goes off the air in two weeks. Six episodes, three each over the next two weeks to close 2023, and then we kick off 2024. We'll talk WWE Day 1, and we will have your 2023 Getting Over Awards, a.k.a. The meaties. And we will talk a little bit more about that later in today's show. I just wanted to give you the heads up on the schedule to kick things off here. The other way we kick things off here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is with a reminder that this show is all about defying. So please, folks, stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, Vintage. Chris Vanini and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Please visit Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave some five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. For Apple and Spotify, the five-star ratings are immensely important to us. Please don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, highlights, analysis, all of that good stuff. You can also DM us questions and comments that we will read on the show, and you will hear some of those as we continue today's program. Please also remember, I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well, because for $5 a month or 50 for the entire year, you can become an official getting overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over, sign up. You will get bonus audio, the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling, instant recaps for the major television shows, and exclusive news posts every single Friday. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Speaking of becoming official getting overheads, we have a couple people to acknowledge as we kick off today's show. Davian S., 
and Andre, A-N-D-R-E-Y, unique spelling there, have both become official monthly members. We appreciate you linking up. We didn't see any messages as part of your subscriptions. We would have read them here. Didn't see them. But nevertheless, Davion and Andre, we acknowledge you. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement right there. Acknowledge. Chris, it is an absolutely loaded end to 2023. We're going to kick off 2024 with a bang as well. It is just crazy that we're concluding another year here on Getting Over. I appreciate you as always being here with us for today's show. And I'm excited to talk some WWE because a lot happened throughout the company this week, not just on television, but off of it as well. Yeah, this was uh, an interesting week. It's like you said, it was kind of a go home for a show that's a couple of weeks away still. Got some off the field stuff to talk about. And you and I have a few episodes to record, best of and all that stuff. So uh, kind of a lull period going in here for the next couple of weeks for wrestling. But we are going to have a lot to talk about still. We do. And because of that, we're actually going to introduce a new segment on today's show. And this segment name may change, you know, through future episodes of getting over. But today we're going to call it. I'm afraid I've got some bad news, but I'm afraid I've got some bad news. And there's a couple news items here from WWE that we need to touch on before we get into today's show. We're going to cover the main event, the good, the bad and the ugly. And of course, the last word before we wrap up this entire shindig. But first, the bad news, unfortunately, Charlotte Flair will be out of action for nine months or potentially longer with a serious knee injury. She's going to miss WrestleMania 40 because of it. We have confirmed here at Getting Over that it is a torn ACL, but apparently, according to other reports, there are other ligaments and potentially other damage to the knee as well, which is not uncommon when you tear an ACL or have a significant knee injury uh, in sports. It does seem like SummerSlam might be a return possibility for her if surgery and rehabilitation goes as planned. But obviously, it's an extremely unfortunate situation. It did not happen on the moonsault, as we thought it might have against Asuka on SmackDown uh, two weeks ago. Instead, it actually happened when she fell off the top rope and like rolled outside. I guess when she planted, she landed bad on the knee. And that's exactly what happened. Chris, it's going to be the second time in four years that she's going to miss WrestleMania. I believe it was WrestleMania 37. She had a Big scheduled feud with Lacey Evans. Lacey got pregnant. That match completely got canceled. Uh, So she won't be on the card again. You know, and it's one of those situations for me where, you know, everyone has their frustrations to some degree with Charlotte. But being frustrated with her as a performer and the way she's booked is completely different than wishing ill on someone. And certainly nobody, you know, wished in any way that she would get injured or would miss WrestleMania. Because the truth is, If there is one thing you can count on, it is Charlotte Flair showing the hell out at WrestleMania on the biggest stage. She did it last year with Rhea Ripley. For some people, they thought it was the best match on the entire show. Certainly, it was it it played a significant role in that incredible night one, you know, that we got with uh, that match. The tag team championship match was Gunther, Drew McIntyre and Sheamus also on night one. Like what a ridiculous night of wrestling. Um, like those three matches, you could make an argument. Those are all five-star matches. And Charlotte Flair, Rhea Ripley was a huge uh, part of that show and a huge part of WrestleMania 39 being such a success. So just immensely unfortunate that she's hurt, number one. Number two, that she's going to miss WrestleMania. And, you know, I have to assume, Chris, that it threw some of WWE's plans up in the air because you have to imagine she was factored in to be a major part of that show. 
yes, this is a brutal loss uh, just for Charlotte. She is a great performer. She is. You could make the case miss WrestleMania at this point with the match against Rhea, like you said. You could say the that. The triple threat with uh, Sasha and I think it was Becky back at 32. The 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 Oscar match. She always shows out and she certainly would have had a spotlight match at WrestleMania with somebody. And that is up in the air. So uh, sucks. I also kind of felt bad because I think we graded her segment a bad last week because of that finish. Well, turns out now, you know, turned out she had a torn ACL. So uh, apologies. Well, it was bad. That. I mean, I, I'm going to I'm going to defend us a little bit. It was bad because it was bad. It, it, the it finish, was, the finish played a, into that, certainly. But it was bad because it was bad. I mean, it, it yeah. so I didn't quite. Re- I would have never guessed that bad. Like, look, she tore her ACL and still basically put somebody in the figure uh, eight. That's crazy. <laughs> like th- that is. is that is yeah. Triple H taking walls of Jericho on the table level of toughness. Yeah, right. By the way, for sure. So make sure, like, she that needs to be talked about in in that. As as sad as this is, when she comes back, we need to remember that. So uh, hope she can come back better than ever at some point. And even though it didn't happen on the moonsault, like we said, uh, like we thought, wouldn't be surprised if they maybe take that out of the repertoire, considering how much that does to the knees with the way she always lands on her feet. I was just going to say it's even more reason. Like I'm not saying it's a silver lining, like don't get it twisted, but it's even more reason for her to never do that move again because it's an unnecessary risk every single time she lands and she's going to be putting pressure on that knee or she's, or she, she might, you know, be hesitant to do it and then put more pressure on the other knee, which would then potentially cause an injury there. We've also seen throughout wrestling that for some reason, Women's ACLs seem more likely to tear, and I'm sure there's a sports medicine reason behind it. I believe it's true in soccer as well as it is professional wrestling. But physiology-wise or whatever the proper term for that is, it just seems like it's a very high level of occurrence. You've seen it at the WWE Performance Center. I want to say four or five women just in the last year tore their ACL. Tegan Knox obviously had multiple knee problems. Dakota Kai has had multiple knee problems like you know, what you don't want to do is moves that put additional pressure and torque um, on those ligaments. And therefore, when she does return, I do agree. I think pulling that moonsault out of her repertoire will make a lot of sense. The other thing to note here is that this is the proper scenario, Chris, where you return Charlotte as a baby face. You know, all those times where she comes back as a face and like people kind of are iffy about it. They protested a little bit, or at least we don't like it. We wish that she was a heel. This is when you bring someone back as a face when they're coming off injury, they're out for nine months and then they return. So maybe she'll do that. I have a like weird feeling she'll come back as a heel and it'll be like the exact opposite of what we expect. Yeah, maybe we'll see. The other bit of bad news for WWE is that Liv Morgan was arrested for possession of marijuana while driving in Florida. But it wasn't just the possession of marijuana and supposedly a vape pen that may have had a synthetic substance in there as well. But the reason why she was pulled over was she was found swerving over the center line. That led to the traffic stop. So it is possible, although it has not happened yet, they could potentially file for a DUI if they get saliva or a blood test back. It is tough to convict for marijuana when it comes to like driving under the influence situation. And obviously she's going to have a good lawyer, but 
as of right now, she stands arrested for possession of marijuana while driving. And look, I'm not going to admonish her for using marijuana, uh, certainly, you know, glass house type of situation right there. But certainly it's unacceptable to drive if you're under the influence, no matter the circumstance. Uh, driving with an illegal substance in Florida is also a no-no unless you have like a medical card, which is something that, you know, is possible here. But if you don't have one, it's just simply not smart. So to me, as long as it's not a DUI situation, I chalk it up to a stupid mistake and everyone moves forward with it. The problem though does become if they decide to change the charges, in which case, just like we criticize the Usos and just like we've criticized Jeff Hardy and anyone else, driving under the influence is not safe. You're putting your, your own life at risk, but almost more importantly, other lives at risk of innocent people. Let's hope that was not the case here. Let's hope that it was just possession and she gets back and is totally fine. She is coming off injury. Uh, you know, I've long believed the expectation was that she would return in the Royal Rumble. It makes all the sense in the world. And that's still my expectation. I don't see why anything would change simply because of a possession charge. Yeah. Um, like basically, like you said, just depends on kind of what that swerving whole situation was, if she was actually under the influence or, or, or not. Um, pretty stupid. Uh, hope, hope it's not as bad as it possibly could be. And, you know, we'll, uh, we'll wait and see. Like, like you mentioned, you mentioned the other DUIs and the other wrestlers who have gone through clearly more similar stuff or worse stuff, especially in the, in the Jeff Hardy situation. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so just hope, uh, hope she's got everything under control and it was just a dumb mistake. Right. Exactly. A dumb mistake and something as simple as possession, you brush it off, you move on with your life. And look, it's something that's legal in many states, <laughs> not all the states. Clearly, Florida is not one of them, uh, but many states. So, you know, people, smart people can have their own opinions of that. Uh, I won't be sharing mine, but I think it's pretty clear the side I stand on there. Uh, but regardless, let's hope that she wasn't using and, you know, in the moment um, and was safely driving. And it just was a bad situation, bad circumstance. And let's hope she gets back on TV uh, as soon as possible. Now, We've also stayed away from these week-to-week -week comments, Chris, about the crowd. We said we were going to do it. I think I got two weeks in without kind of mentioning it from a negative standpoint. But I got to say off the top, like we're talking about bad news. Green Bay was atrocious on Friday night for SmackDown. And it's going to be even worse this coming Friday, according to listener Patty Vega at Vega Alliance, who was there. I'm not sure how WWE managed to do a rare double taping of a show in front of one of its worst crowds of the entire year. He said that WWE had the crowd cheer and boo like during commercial breaks so they could record it and, you know, use it on the show. So you, everyone needs to get ready for the sweetened crowd chants and the, the cheering and the booing. WWE does that anyway on a taped show, but Green Bay was so atrocious live. I cannot imagine how bad it's going to be taped. So expect this SmackDown on Friday to be filled with bonus audio. Yeah, I guess we don't want to make this. We tried not to make it a weekly thing where the Silver King shits on some city in this town. Uh, it seems to go on all the in time. This country, but yeah. Gr Green Bay specifically, though, I I will always whenever I think of Green Bay, especially wrestling, I always think of the return of evolution amid uh, against the shield. Mm hmm. When Randy Orton and Batista came out with Triple H and they did the return, it was in Green Bay and the crowd 
did not react at all. Yeah. It was as if they had never heard of evolution or didn't care. And it always stuck with me because I thought the return of evolution was such a cool moment that's completely killed by zero crowd reaction. And that was in Green Bay. Yep. And I always think about it. Uh, so, yeah, not a great crowd. Um, we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll see what happens Friday, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I'm not going to shit on the crowd. I'm not going to shit on the people of Green Bay uh, too much, mostly for what happened in the past. No, I am because you're going to a show. You should be cheering. Like, look. WWE cannot like excommunicate individual markets just because the crowds aren't incredible, but they can run them less frequently or they can give them house shows instead of TV. And I'm not saying that every you know show, because they can't possibly do it, uh, needs to be in Brooklyn or Chicago or Des Moines, Iowa, you know, for Raw on Monday night, which was a fantastic crowd. I'm not saying that they have to figure it out that way, but you should be smart enough to know not to do a double taping for an end of year SmackDown with the return of Roman Reigns and the return of AJ Styles and some other things that happened on that show that we'll all talk about momentarily in Green Bay, where they historically, as you're pointing out, have not been a strong crowd. You got to be smarter about some of those things. And I know they book the venues months in advance and then TV, you know, things can change, but they booked the venue. They knew what this venue was going to be and how many shows they were going to tape there. They got to be smarter about stuff like this because uh, when they do sweeten the crowd, it sucks and it makes the show worse. Um, not- along along those lines, and we didn't actually have this on, on the notes, but there were some comments from uh, Mark Shapiro recently about the possibility of maybe cutting back on house shows or or, or certain stuff like that. And uh, don't really have, you know, obviously nothing's happening at the moment, but in, in this talk about certain markets and whatnot, uh, I am curious, you know, something to keep an eye on. Well, that does make sense to me. And you're right. We, we don't really have plans to talk about that here. But WWE has mostly not completely, but mostly moved to like a weekend house show format. So you do SmackDown on Friday, Saturday and Sunday are house shows and then Monday's Raw. And then the wrestlers generally get the rest of the week off. That is fantastic. And it's a huge improvement from what it used to be, where as many wrestlers will tell you, they wrestled 320 days out of the year. You know, they were either at a house show or on TV or on the road, I should say. Not wrestled 320 days, but on the road 320 days plus a year. So it's a huge improvement what they've already done. But yes, what he said, look, some of these house shows do incredibly well. Others do not. And if they cut those down, all that really means, yeah, it means less revenue, you know, to some degree from tickets and merchandise sales and, and that, but it means more time off for the wrestlers and a greater opportunity for them to get healthy between shows and between matches. And that's a huge positive. So, you know, we'll see if they do cut back and if they ultimately cut back, how much they cut back. But it is worth noting, and I'm glad that you brought it up. And on all that, it's not all bad news because we did call the segment, afraid I've got some bad news, but we've got some good news too. Dominic Mysterio and his deadbeat dad, Ray Mysterio, have reportedly re-signed with WWE, these are believed to be the first new deals for current talent since the TKO merger. Uh, it is said to be a five-year deal for Dom. No details really for Ray. He's 49, but he wrestles like he's 39. So who the hell knows how long he signed? I would guess three years for Ray makes a lot of sense. But it's real interesting to me, Chris, that WWE inducted a fully active superstar into the Hall of Fame, and that didn't immediately lead to his retirement. He's there and he's staying there and he's still wrestling on TV and involved in serious storylines. Uh, so congratulations to the Mysterio family. That's great news for them. 
clearly Dominic uh, has been doing a great job in 2023. We'll talk about him more momentarily. And Ray, of course, linking back up with WWE and remaining with his son is, of course, super cool. So I did want to put that out there before we continued with the show. Yeah, good, good, uh, good to hear. Obviously, none of it's, I think, a big surprise. Um, we don't know how long. It is crazy that Ray is 49 years old. And, and moving the way he does. And he's moving through this. So it's insane. Um, they've been great. I mean, the two of them together, the last handful of years, it's been great. It's been really great, the two of them, together, apart, whatever. And uh, yeah, good news. Better apart than together. Uh, yes, it, it, it's been it's been remarkable how it's been, you know, almost a year now since they kind of went separate ways. Yeah, no. Uh, so months. it's been longer than a year since they've been separate, but it's been a year since Ray punched Dom in front of his wife and his mom and Dom's yeah. mom. Yeah. yeah, I think that was so. like a year ago on one of the final Smackdowns of 2023 leading into 2022 leading into WrestleMania season. So, yeah, it kind of fits right there. Uh, we do have. The main event, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the last word to get to, one other item that we wish to discuss before we get to all of that, and that's awards. And I want to start off by letting all of you know that Getting Over has been nominated as Best Wrestling Podcast of 2023 by the Sports Podcast Awards. Now, we tweeted the link at Getting Overcast. It's on our feed. You guys can vote and support us, and all I'm going to say is there are easy ways to get free and temporary email addresses. So I think you guys have the opportunity to vote perhaps as much as you want for the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, but we would not have been nominated or considered a finalist, I should say, for this award without all of your support, your listenership. Uh, It means a lot to us. We're immensely excited to be nominated and fingers crossed, you know, obviously, We hope we win. We're going up against some significant competition, including Kurt Angle's show, among others. And from what I understand, he does a great podcast over there. So, Chris, this is our first award nomination, you know, in three plus years of doing the podcast. Um, I'm excited. And we have our own awards coming up. But in case you wanted to say anything about this first, uh, the floor is yours. Yeah, this was awesome. Incredibly honored by the uh, sports podcast group that has been putting these together. And uh, yeah, like you said, you can just go vote, uh, I think, as much as you want or just anybody who wants to vote. We'd really appreciate that. We know this is a very busy space. There are a lot of pro wrestling podcasts out there. And so anytime we hear from one of you on Twitter or someone signs up for Buy Me a Coffee, or uh, nominates us or votes for us for awards like this, we are immensely grateful for all the support uh, that we've gotten from everybody. And, and, and just to reach this point is, is fantastic. And a special shout out to the silver King who does all the work behind the scenes on the spot and gets that fine audio into your ears. So uh, special shout out to you, Adam. And uh, yeah, this is really cool. I appreciate that, but no, this is all about you guys, the listeners, if we're going to win this, we need your support. It's as simple as that. We need you to vote. And the link is right there uh, in our Twitter feed. And don't you worry. We will be tweeting it out plenty. We'll probably be mentioning it on the podcast plenty as well. So go ahead. Vote for us. Best wrestling podcast in the sports podcast awards. Uh, we love you all. We appreciate you. And we're thrilled just to be nominated. But we'd really like to win. So let's go ahead and try to make that happen. Speaking of 
winning awards, the 2023 Getting Over Awards, a.k.a. The Meaties, are coming at the start of 2024, and nominations have begun. We've already tweeted out the first six award categories and their nominees at Getting Overcast, so be sure to reply if you have any additional nominees. We will consider those generally the way I do it is if multiple people nominate the same thing, we add it to the list of nominees. If it's a one-off, it goes under consideration. Does this make sense? Should it be added or should it not be? I try not to have any more than seven or eight nominees per category. Otherwise, the voting gets crazy. But the first six awards are out and we will continue posting awards and nominees through the end of the week. Eventually, nominations will close and we will post the entire ballot and you can vote in the 2023 Getting Over Awards, a.k.a. The Meaties. Over the final few weeks of the year. So don't miss that. Again, on Twitter, at Getting Overcast. And Chris, on the topic of awards, I do want to take a moment to speak about Monday Night Raw, which, and I know I've said this a few times recently, I cannot get over how much more I enjoy this show compared to SmackDown or really any other wrestling show on a near weekly basis. I thought Monday night was simply excellent from the 20 Christmas trees making the stage look pretty cool for Christmas to the high caliber matches to the storytelling, which was both serious and fun. The three hours straight flew by for me, not just on Monday, but the last three weeks. And this stretch of three shows to close 2023 for Raw might have been the best three-week run for any wrestling show this year. Like, yeah, look, individual episodes of AEW Dynamite or Collision, they might have some insane matches or just be great individual episodes. Or you can have a single SmackDown episode that has an awesome bloodline story or the one in Denver where The Rock came back, but that was also an extremely good episode besides The Rock. So individually, Like SmackDown may have given us potentially the single best WWE TV episode of the year, but Raw almost seems to continuously get better. And it is by far without question, for me at least, the most consistent show of any brand. And one reason for that, Chris, is this Judgment Day and Cody Rhodes stuff that we've been dealing with. And I'm not necessarily putting them together, although for a period of time they were, you know, working against one another. But Judgment Day and Cody Rhodes had largely taken up a lot of the important time on Raw. Both have finally taken back seats to Seth Rollins, who's the world heavyweight champion and deserves top billing on the show. And Raw has only gotten better since that has happened. Rollins not only has CM Punk for the future, he's dealing with Drew McIntyre in the present. And approaching WrestleMania season, he's finally front and center where he's needed to be for a while. I'm wondering if you've noticed the same thing about the Rollins, Judgment Day, and Cody situation. And I'm also wondering if you hold the same perspective that I do on Raw being not just better than other wrestling shows, but for me, by a significant margin. Yeah, I think I said this maybe a week or two ago, but I, I, I still not figure it out if I like it more because it's been clearly better or if it's because the football season has the college football season has largely wrapped up and I can like focus on the show more. But it clearly this was 
SmackDown was great. We got Roman Reigns. We got AJ Styles. It feels, it felt big again. And it had, it had been a while, a month or so since SmackDown felt big. Raw has had consistency the last number of weeks. This week felt a little weird to me because it was a go home, but we barely got any Cody Rhodes. CM Punk wasn't there. I think we got one Seth Rollins segment. And so it did. It felt a little off in terms of I didn't know how like how big of a show this was supposed to be. We got a R-Truth match and a Tozawa match, <laughs> which I think kind of shows you what kind of what they were working with at the same time. Again, it was a go home to a show that's like two weeks from now. Yeah, two weeks. So it 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 felt a little uneven to me because of that. But that's just the nature of the schedule. I still think what we got was real solid. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed the fact that we weren't bombarded with Judgment Day the entire show. I mean, we saw them throughout the entire show, but it wasn't multiple extended, immensely long in-ring segments. It was a quick thing backstage, the opener, and then the main event. It's pretty much it. We didn't get eight segments of them. We got three, you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. Cody Rhodes, like you said, he was briefly there, but he made an impact in his appearance. It wasn't... Cody coming out and cutting a 20-minute promo just to cut a 20-minute promo. I think those are some of the reasons why I enjoyed Raw on Monday so much. It was the variety that actually spoke to me. And not just the variety, that the variety delivered and was exciting and it was entertaining and fun. That's such it makes such a big difference than just putting stuff on TV just to have it on TV. And on that note, let's not waste any more time because we have a ton to discuss from SmackDown and Raw. We're hitting the main event, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And the last word before we wrap up this WWE episode. But as always, we're going to kick off that triad by sliding into the main event. This is the main event. So, of course, since Roman Reigns appeared on TV for the first time in, I don't know, six weeks and actually traveled to TV for the first time in seven weeks and made his fourth TV appearance in, I guess, four months we should probably start with the tribal chief. So Roman Reigns and the bloodline opened SmackDown. This time it was heavy booze from the jump, not the mixed reaction that he had been getting sometimes. Reigns acknowledged the booze and said he's a good boss, so it's promotion season. Jimmy Uso was getting really hyped up for this. And there was a great extended camera angle showing them together with Roman in front of Jimmy. As Roman talked about this guy being the next in line to be tribal chief, He then called Jimmy up to acknowledge Solo Sokoa together. Then he told Solo he loved him, and Jimmy's world just came crashing down all around him. Cue Randy Orton and an immediate commercial break. Luckily, it took him four minutes to walk to the ring, so apparently we didn't miss anything. Orton said he's been waiting 18 months for the opportunity to tell Reigns he's coming for him. He sarcastically called him Big Dog and made a championship challenge for the Royal Rumble. Roman countered that he hasn't thought about Randy once in 18 months. He's levels above him, that Randy has to earn the opportunity. And if he actually gets it, Reigns will just force him to retire. He also had a really good line. The voices in your head are telling you to respect your tribal chief. Orton admitted that Reigns has evolved into a legend, but he'll always be a legend killer. Reigns avoided an RKO out of nowhere. And Orton said the voices in his head told him that Roman crapped his pants and daddy's back. So the best way to describe all of this for me at least, Chris, was solid. Like nothing wrong with it on the surface. But for a 20-minute opening segment with a commercial break, 
it kind of felt like nothing happened. Like Solo being named the next tribal chief, or as Jimmy sarcastically said later, the tribal heir, it hurt Jimmy, but the crowd didn't really care. And that fault is not so much on the performers, but it's on WWE because creative could have spent the last couple of weeks hyping up a decision in backstage segments with Paul Heyman saying, you know, when Roman comes back, one of you is gonna be named tribal heir and maybe even indicating that it might be Jimmy. And if they gave us that over the last couple of weeks, then we would have been as viewers really upset for Jimmy and really surprised that he didn't get it and Solo got it instead. But they didn't do that. If you compare the way this came across to the way it came across when they did something similar with Jay, it's truly night and day. And then you move to Orton. And even though this was the first Reigns-Orton face-to-face, because Randy has already been working with the bloodline for like a month, it didn't exactly feel fresh. Everything made sense. Reigns-Orton is a strong, undisputed WWE Universal Championship match for the Royal Rumble if it happens one-on-one. But I wouldn't say anything got me hyped And Reigns even looked small compared to Orton, just the way Orton's built right now. Given it was Reigns' first appearance in like seven weeks and only his fourth in as many months or so, like I said, I just felt, Chris, that this needed to be so much more than solid. I found myself caring less about him here than I have ever before during this run. Yes. And side note, uh, sometimes when we do this podcast, I just throw on an old wrestling show uh, just on my TV. Mm-hmm. I've currently got the 2020 Royal Rumble on in Houston, and it opens with Roman Reigns versus Baron Corbin in a false count anywhere. And man, face Roman like you think about where Roman is now and how much we care about him back to when he was a face. And it's just like, man, his, this heel turn has really elevated his career mm-hmm. to legend status as they said in the promo and yes randy is simply bigger than randy orton uh, bigger than roman they made that uh, last time that these two guys were in the ring together like a year and a half or two years ago uh randy makes a comment i just realized i'm taller than you (laughs) and so it it instantly just doesn't make roman look as intimidating Mm -hmm. and again by, by the way also randy orton again wearing pants he is he is in his pants era, it would seem. <laughs> I also think he looks better clean shaven. Sometimes he has a beard, sometimes he doesn't. He's back clean shaven. I think that always just kind of worked better with the Viper persona and all that stuff. But all of the other stuff, for one, like it's so weird that Jimmy Uso is just back. You know, like they had this whole breakup thing that happened and then it didn't happen and he's just kind of back where he was and you're like I he's doing like decent work but it kind of feels like you know I don't know if this was the plan or or what but it's not hitting the way it used to because it feels like he's just a hanger on so then when Roman but he is is though that's that's the entire story right yeah it it, but it just it doesn't it it doesn't feel impactful because it's not so when Roman is saying I'm here to name a new tribal heir, basically. And you're like, well, it's going to be solo. Jimmy, (laughs) Right. (laughs) It ain't Jimmy. Right. And I, so I guess it's solo, but like, again, we just did this like four or five months ago with Jay, with Roman getting on one knee to basically do it. And then he's just showing up on a SmackDown being like, I'm going to name a new heir. Exactly. Right. Exactly. If, if we had had 
two to three weeks of Paul Heyman saying, hey, Roman's, you know, he's ready to name a new heir, you know, hype that up for a couple weeks. Boom. Like, there you go. And by the way, Jimmy, Jimmy wins a couple matches or helps solo win a couple matches. And you're like, oh, my God, he's not just a useful idiot. He's actually useful. You know what I mean? Like you give him reason to believe that it's going to be him. It was a rare miss to not promote that and get get ready for it. Uh, I I don't know if they were just too focused on CM Punk stuff and Randy Orton stuff that they just never got around to it. But it was a weird thing to kind of basically debut in a promo with no hype toward it. And you're just like, it, it didn't feel impactful. Credit, though. To the WWE camera team, the production team, they did a great job of showing Jimmy's disappointment. Like they did a great job planning that part. So when it wasn't Jimmy, you could see Jimmy thinks it's going to be him and then it's not. Like, yeah, deflated. That, it, 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 it made the moment more impactful than it would have been otherwise. But largely, you're right. I think it ended up pretty flat. That was a great point you made that the CM Punk stuff, maybe that took some time that they were going to spend on this storyline and they pushed it off because... One thing that's very notable when you watch a SmackDown, not that much happens on the show. You get like six segments, maybe seven. And like when I do our rundown for this show, I'm like, are we even going to have stuff to talk about this week? And then Raw happens and 87 things happen. And it's like, all right, well, we got a full show now to discuss. So because they don't do that much on SmackDown and they generally spend a lot of time on the segments and on the matches that they do put on TV, That is very possible that the CM Punk aspect, the Randy Orton signing aspect took up some time from the bloodline that perhaps would have been used to build this. But it doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, they didn't build it. And I think our criticisms reign true here. It was great to see Reigns. Glad he's back. Right. Is he going to be back? Right. You know, January, whatever day, fifth, sixth uh, on the on the next live show. You know, I don't know. I guess I hope. I mean, presumably he could be at this week's SmackDown since he was in the building. Well, yeah, I'm assuming he's going to be on the tape show, but I'm saying the next live show, like, is he now back? Like, is Reigns now back through WrestleMania where maybe he misses one SmackDown or two SmackDowns here and there? But is he, you know, is he going to be on TV for three out of every four week period of time from now until WrestleMania? That's what I want to know. And I don't know that I have that answer. Do do we assume we're going Randy Orton, Roman Reigns at Royal Rumble? That's a lot of ours. Well, we have more to talk about before we get there. So let's pause. Let's do a 30 second timeout. We'll keep going with the main event and then we'll get to that prediction for what might happen in the Royal Rumble. I don't want to say main event, but for the undisputed WWE Universal Championship. So Orton later in the show bumped into LA Knight backstage. He reiterated he doesn't need his help, but Knight pointed out it's a numbers game. Randy said they're on good terms and they should keep it that way. LA just has to stay out of his business. Knight said, He's equally into taking down Reigns, insinuating he's not going to get rid of him that easy. Later in the Bloodline locker room, Reigns was angry. Orton ruined their celebration. Jimmy was super sarcastic, saying it sounds like a job for the tribal heir. Roman reminded it's promotion season, saying Jimmy's stock could soar if he handles it himself. So Jimmy said yeet. And there was a really funny moment that was better than really anything in the opening segment where they just slowly turned and looked at each other, almost cartoonishly. And then Jimmy acquiesces and says, no yeet. Jimmy then spoke to Solo alone later. He got paranoid and worried that Reigns and Heyman were speaking together without them for so long. He asked if Sokoa would have his back, but all Solo said is, you're my brother, which certainly is not that reassuring. So all of this in totality, Chris, it was almost better than the opening segment. You had Roman back to being a gaslighter. 
Jimmy putting his character work on full display, Randy and LA somewhat at odds. That told me we might not be headed for a one-on-one match at the Royal Rumble. And then Jimmy adding the relationship with his brother as a storyline element. So much was accomplished in these short bits, but it told so much more story than was accomplished in the opening of the show, which took 20 minutes. I'll repeat that. Yes, this backstage bit was nice. I like that Jimmy's realizing, hey, you know, I, 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 I kind of begged my way back into the bloodline, but I'm not like set for sure. Like mm-hmm. something, it, it feels like they are setting up him getting kicked out of the bloodline at some point. And then what happens? Does Roman turn on Jimmy and then that turns solo on Roman? Like, I I think it it kind of plants some seeds for these types of things where Solo may have to make a decision uh, pretty soon between his brother Mm -hmm. and Roman. And we've, we, again, we've never really gotten into the Solo Usos relationship. Mm -hmm like in storyline, because he's a lot younger than him. And he he has said in interviews, like I didn't really grow up with them because they were so much older than me. And I feel like there's a story to tell there that potentially could come down the road from this. Yeah, it's an eight year difference for those who don't know between Solo and the Usos. So you're talking about, you know, Solo perhaps not even being in middle school when the Usos graduated high school. That's a huge gap in age. So it also fully explains or helps explain why Jimmy is so not only jealous of Solo, because he's not just his younger brother, but he's his younger brother by eight years, but also questioning like why Reigns, this guy who he grew up with as a brother, even though they're actually cousins, would treat him less than compared to Sokoa. So it's just immensely interesting. And like I said, it's it's a better part of the story than what they gave us in the opening segment, as simple as that. So we'll move to the main event of SmackDown. It was Randy Orton against Jimmy. They ran the hits here mostly. Orton sold a knee getting thrown outside. He set up an RKO later when Sokoa entered. So Knight followed and attacked. Orton immediately hit an RKO inside for the win. He smiled and nodded to LA. Then Roman ran down, attacked Knight from behind, just knocked him out. Reigns nutted up and attacked Orton one-on-one. Jimmy aided. Knight saved, only for Sokoa to get involved. So now it's three on two until finally... AJ Styles returned out of the crowd for a phenomenal forearm on Reigns, and the three baby faces are all there standing tall. But as the fans celebrated, he clotheslined the shit out of Knight and walked off staring down Reigns. It is one of my favorite wrestling tropes when a guy returns off a long layoff and he's wearing a black cowboy hat, or in this case, black gloves and jeans, gets a huge baby face pop, and then immediately turns heel. The Styles turn, it's gonna need a legitimate explanation. It might be overnight moving into his spot. When AJ was taken out, he was supposed to team with John Cena against the Bloodline. Maybe they can make that work. Either way, it serves well to even the sides ahead of, and this is what you mentioned earlier, Chris, what might be like a fatal four-way title match at Royal Rumble. Also, Styles was absolutely freaking yoked here. The guy <laughs> looked far nominal. See what I did there? That was a good one. Yeah. Maybe the best physical definition of his career. My Lord, between him and Orton, they must have eaten a gallon of vitamins and gained like 30 pounds of muscle. It was a fine close to the show, nearly ruined by the absolute shit Green Bay crowd, which did not react to this like pretty much 
any other crowd would have. You put that on Raw in front of the, the Des Moines, Iowa fans, they're going absolutely wild for it. That's unfortunate because it was set up well. It was handled the right way. It was a smart finish to the show. Great to get Styles back. So all of it worked. The crowd just wasn't there for it. Yeah, I was mixed on the planning of the return okay. in the sense of him coming out of the crowd as opposed to music hitting. You know, I, I'm always a much bigger fan of music hits. That's that's the cue for the crowd to react uh, and, and do that. However, you know, like AJ hasn't been gone that long. Yeah, it's, it's only been, been a like few a, months. It's only been a few months. Um, but I, I just in the moment, I thought that. But then when he turns heel, I'm like, oh, OK, well, I guess this, this is it. There was a lot going on in those last like three minutes of this show. <laughs> we, we had we had run ins. We had saves. We had a return and we had a and we had a turn all in like the span of like two minutes. And I kept thinking, you know, kind of during that finish, like kind of like what is L.A. Knight doing? You mm-hmm. know, like he's just he you know, he's been hanging around seeing and Orton for a bit, but like he hasn't really had a feud in a minute. What, like, what's he going to do? And then boom, there we go. <laughs> I was like, all right, now we know what AJ Stott, now we know what yep. uh, LA Knight's going to be doing, uh, probably going into um, Royal Rumble season. So it's exciting. Good that he's back because, again, SmackDown was missing stars. Now you've added Randy Orton and AJ Styles in the span of a couple weeks. Very much needed there. And yeah, AJ looked freaking jacked, man. I don't know. Wild. Yeah, putting Orton and Styles back on SmackDown, which we've been talking about for months, just lacking star power, lacking, um, you know, exciting talent that really gets you excited, really other than LA Knight, especially with Roman Reigns not there. Much needed. Uh, And it did boost the show individually, and it looks to boost the show going forward. But Chris, I do think that we're headed towards this fatal four-way. Roman Reigns, Randy Orton, LA Knight, AJ Styles. I think it's going to be great to see Reigns defend his title in a multi-man match, which just is a little bit different. It also should lead to a clean finish for him, which we badly need him to get, given it seems like, you know, it started off where he was winning matches clean. He was using the guillotine for a while. Maybe he'd get a little help, but ultimately he would come through. But recently it's been interference, spear, win. Interference, spear, win. He needs to do something different. And I think a four-way with these guys where he gets to look dominant and he gets to pin... You know, pick whoever you want, probably Styles, maybe Orton, but I think it would work. And then what you can do, and you know, he's not being advertised for Elimination Chamber in Perth, Australia right now, but I cannot imagine them doing an international stadium show and not having Reigns on the card. Like, I mean, maybe he's not, but <laughs> like, and he wasn't at Survivor Series, which surprised me as well, but I have to believe he's going to be on that show. That would get create an opportunity to then do Reigns and Orton one-on-one on that show, which is a huge match in front of an international audience. That's my guess. What do you think about that? I I like the Fatal 4-Way idea. I don't think there's any guarantee there wouldn't be interference. I mean, technically, it's technically no DQ. he's allowed to interfere. Oh, yeah, right? it's no DQ, totally. No DQ in that stuff. So like, I, But I, I do want Roman to get a straight-up clean win. If he's going to go into WrestleMania season fighting Cody... Don't want every single win that he gets to be solo interferes because it's it's too much of a trope. We've gotten away from a Roman Reigns you can fear, and I we we need that back as we head into WrestleMania. So I don't know yet if it's a fatal forward. I love the idea, and I think honestly you you pin you pin LA Knight there, 
you know, kind of push. That's his kind of knock out of the main event picture as he goes into something else, possibly Logan Paul into WrestleMania. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I'm, we'll, I'm, I'm sure we'll get a very clear answer Friday if this is just going to be LA Knight, right. uh, AJ Styles, or if it could be a fatal four, or maybe we get both. Maybe, maybe we get AJ versus LA Knight uh, like early in January, and then that leads to a fatal four. Wait, not sure, but you've got four big stars there now on SmackDown. I don't know if you need them all in the same uh, story. Right. You don't have to have them in the same story, but there's so much that you can do having those three guys wrestle each other. One-on-ones, triple threat, like, you know, they keep fighting. You could even do a number one contendership triple threat where Sokoa interferes and it's a no contest and therefore all three become number one contenders. There's a lot of different ways that they can get to that. But to me, if it was going to be Reigns Orton, then they would have almost confirmed that in the opening segment. The fact that Roman basically said, no, you need to earn it tells me that it's probably going to be a multi-person match. Could be. Yeah. All right, folks. That was the main event. We still have an absolute ton to discuss in the world of WWE, and we're going to get to all of it right now by diving into the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez, I call a spade a spade, it just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some Shorty. It's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in them articles that I read. All right, now this probably could have been a co-main event, but I threw it in here because really not that much ultimately happened. Seth Rollins opened hour three of Raw to a great pop in his home state. Drew McIntyre entered just as his name was mentioned. Rollins was still pissed about the Glasgow kiss from a couple weeks ago. McIntyre said they'll fight in two weeks, and he's proud of Rollins for standing up to CM Punk while everyone else backstage has turned a blind eye. Drew reiterated his sacrifices being away from his family to chase a dream, and he pointed out that Becky Lynch is in the exact same spot and Seth should fully understand that. McIntyre said he needs the title because he has to know the sacrifice was worth it, and he would understand that hurting Rollins would be part of doing whatever it takes to get it. Rollins pointed out that it's tough to take McIntyre's words at face value, given his actions, but that either way, the outcome will be the same. Seth said the only way Drew will become a world champion is to take responsibility for his actions and realize he's been the only one preventing himself from holding the title. Rollins said he meant it when he told CM Punk he hates him, but he doesn't hate McIntyre. He pities him. Drew tried to take a shot, but Seth got him first. McIntyre, then Alabama slammed him into the corner of the steel steps to end the segment with Rollins selling a left elbow injury. Now, I want to tackle this in two parts. What we got Monday and then what's ahead in two weeks. But what we got Monday, I thought was exceptional. McIntyre was at his best on the mic. And while there wasn't much new to the confrontation. They repeated a lot of what they've already said during their feud. Both delivered their stuff perfectly. Rollins was biting, saying that he pities McIntyre. Drew had a great point comparing himself to Becky. No doubter as a good segment to kick this off. Top tier stuff from two top tier guys. And suddenly in the span of two weeks, Rollins is maybe more interesting than he's been the entire title reign up until this point. Yeah, it was weird. We went like two hours into the show, they like didn't even mention Rollins. I don't think until this segment happened. Um, so they start off with the vignette 
And Cole says it sets social media on fire, their, their, their promo. And I, I heard that and I was like, why are you saying social media? Just say the world. Like, say say right. Rollins and CM Punk's confrontation set the world on fire. Like, doesn't that sound bigger? It's so weird when they say social media. Like, mm-hmm. it just, like, makes it feel, I don't know, like, cheap and less important. I don't know. Don't say social media, man. Say world. So there's that. <laughs> Rollins does his entrance. And he's been doing this a lot. Would you be okay with, hold on, would you be okay with internet? Yeah. Set the internet on fire? That's even worse. <laughs> that's even okay. Worse. Okay. Just say the world, man. Like okay. you, normally they're selling their thing as like the biggest thing. It's so weird to the, like limit it. To you mean the WWE universe is only uh, yeah. notable on social media? It'd be yeah. like it'd be like if they called the WWE universe like the WWE, you know, internet basically something. Right. Like that. I don't know. It's weird. So Rollins does his his. He's been doing this a lot last couple months, but he does his entrance with everybody singing the song, and then he starts the promo and asks everybody to sing the song. It, it takes like two or three minutes before we get into even what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So that was, I was kind of annoyed that this thing started off. And again, he's wearing the flamboyant outfits and it's, you know, you know my thoughts on that. But when Drew McIntyre gets out there and they get face to face, it get it got right to exactly what I wanted it to be and what, what it was with these guys a couple weeks ago. Just like dead serious, talking about like real things, blurring kind of real and, and, and not real there. And like, when Drew McIntyre is saying, like, you know, I went home and saw my family and, you know, you know, he lost his mom a long time ago. Mm-hmm. He lost his mom a while back and, you know, he sees his dad and he wonders, like, you know, do I want to keep doing this? Is he is he missing out on his family living on the other side of the world to do this wrestling thing at a time when we on the Internet have been talking about his contract situation and whether or not he's going to come back. And I just thought I thought that made it so impactful the way he kind of almost teared up for a minute there. And it was, again, one of those things where like he's not wrong and he says things that you can get behind. And he has been on an absolute tear these last couple of months on the mic, like, like the best mic work of his career. You know what? On that note, on that note, I want to cut you off. I did not plan this. Drew just happened to tweet while you were giving your little, I was going to say rant, but your, your breakdown there. So Mm. let me go ahead and just play it. Your wife is the exact same position. I am all the way across the world, chasing this dream, doing whatever she can to make it happen. Sacrificing every single week and sacrificing that time with her family. And you've been part of those difficult conversations and the good conversations, you know, man, I wish I could make this wedding back home, but there's a big show coming up and I can't let the fans down. And then the difficult conversations when a family member gets sick, when a parent gets sick, my mom, her dad, And all we want to do is be by their side and hold their hand and be there for them when they're going through it. But they tell us, don't you dare come home. You keep chasing that dream and you make it happen. And that's exactly what we did. But then suddenly they're not here anymore. Seth, look me in the eye. I don't want your title. I need your title. I need that validation. I have to know all these sacrifices were worth it. I have to know the hurt that I caused them was for nothing. And I'm willing to hurt you for everything. I will do whatever it takes to take that title from you at day one. 
I mean, that's it, man. Like that's yeah. a re- real men talking real shit. You can tell he was getting emotional. You could tell Seth was getting emotional listening to him say that. Like that's what that's what it's all about. I mean, if he had cut that shit in, you know, June and was on that track for the rest of the year, we'd be talking about him as, you know, smack talker of the year, mic worker of the year, promo of the year. That, that's 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 what yeah. it's about right there. That that's professional wrestling. C- completely. And 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 like I I'm I personally connected to it because like I live in Texas, my family lives in Michigan and I'm going to go see them later this week, but like my grandma's been having a tough time. And so I'm like wondering like if this is going to be the last time I see my grandma like at Christmas. Like everybody right. can relate to that. And like again, Drew's just been killing it. And then Seth astutely makes the point like Hey man, you've been making a lot of good points recently, but I don't know if I can believe you or not. And that's where you define him as the heel. You know, that it was just a really good bit of nuance there. And the only other thing I, I would push back a little bit when Seth says, you need, you know, it's, you need to look at yourself as to why you haven't won the title and stop blaming others. I mean, mm-hmm. he literally had Roman Reigns beat at Clash of the Castle before Solo stepped in, but you know, he did lose to Seth. And, 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 and so like it set it up really well. I just think the, these two guys to get the CM Punk thing kind of interrupted everything. I don't want CM Punk Seth Rollins to kind of overshadow mm-hmm. what Seth and Drew are doing right now because it's really, really good. And this was, again, the go home promo for their day one match, setting up a situation where, as I thought going into Crown Jewel until it was on Crown Jewel, I think Drew needs to win this match and i think i think that type of promo is the perfect setup for him to do that he so effing needs to win like as this segment progressed i started thinking they're gonna strap him up at day one they're gonna start the year with a world heavyweight championship change their first raw of 2024 head to head against the college football playoff semifinals i mean remember the last remember the last time they did day one that was, you know, they end up doing a title change. They did. Well, Roman, <laughs> Roman got, that didn't go, things, that didn't go as went, it was supposed to exactly, but it they went did. in a different way, yeah. but they wanted to do title change on day one and they did. And they did. They could hear again. WWE twice pointed out, I believe at the beginning and then maybe after this segment, that it has been a calendar year since Rollins was pinned in a singles match. And generally you make that clear because it's going to come into play. But then... Drew stood tall in the segment and there was an injury angle. And as we know, when it comes to Rollins, if he has an injury angle, he almost always retains the title in that situation. So now I'm not exactly sure what to think. We're going to give our predictions on Friday. Like I said, we're going to do a day one ultimate preview. We're going to give you a bonus WWE show ahead of Christmas this week, but it's worth discussing it here briefly, Chris. I mean, I'll repeat and you've said it. I've said it. I'm sure other people have said it. Seth Rollins against CM Punk does not need a championship. Okay? Just like a Brock Lesnar match does not need a championship. You can do Rollins-Punk for best in the world or just the grudge between both of them. Whether Punk deserves to remain in WWE. And I'll tell you something. It's obviously a match Rollins should win. But if you are going to have Punk beat Rollins, it should absolutely be in a non-title match. There should be no scenario in which he becomes the world heavyweight champion, the second person to hold that title after Rollins established it. This is a perfect scenario, Chris, for McIntyre to win 
the championship. It sets him up with a major run on the way into WrestleMania. That we've discussed, the Sami Zayn feud and Sami becoming number one contender and all the animosity we've seen between them both backstage and in the ring over the last month, it would make all the sense in the world to do McIntyre, Zayn for the World Heavyweight Championship. Sami gets his big singles moment. Rollins, Punk, no title. I don't know what else needs to be said. To me, it's an absolute no-brainer. You make Drew the champion January 1st. We'll talk more about it on Friday. All right. I thought you'd have an earlier statement, but that's fine. Maybe I just gave too much away. We got we to gotta, we save some of it for the mini ultimate preview. Well, well, the preview is largely about predicting what's going to happen. I'm saying what they need to do. If I had the book, if I was booking the damn territory, but okay, you want to save yours for Friday, we'll save yours for Friday. Judgment Day opened Monday night with their standard promo about running Raw and winning all their matches on the show. R-Truth interrupted wearing a Judgment Day t-shirt saying he likes opening Raw, so he did the opening himself, and then he assumed last week's beatdown was just an initiation into the stable, though he said it crossed the line hurting him both physically and emotionally. R-Truth made Damian Priest break, twice actually, then made the rest of Judgment Day break, suggesting a miracle on 34th Street fight to J.D. McDonough, only to be informed that was already booked for the show. So then Truth suggested a loser leaves Judgment Day match that tickled Priest, and even Finn Balor was okay with it. Rhea Ripley protested, but the guys basically just told her, no, we're doing it. (laughs) It's too fun. You know, get out of here. Michael Cole also loved it, but Wade Barrett clarified probably six times. It's a joke. JD will not be kicked out if he loses, but the match was on. So we got Truth against JD. Truth hit a scissor kick and used the presence early. He dapped up Dominic, who ran him into the ring post. Dom later pulled Truth's legs out only for him to fall, accidentally headbutting JD in the nuts. Truth reversed Dom into the steel steps, caught JD with a fire extinguisher, hit the five moves of doom. As they fought on the ropes with a table below them, Truth like held himself as McDonough was trying to like superplex him down. And then they just fell forward and McDonough goes straight through the table. Truth gets the almost accidental one, two, three. Then production, unfortunately, played the wrong exit theme, the one that he wraps over instead of the full one, probably because they play it so infrequently they didn't know which button to hit. But look, the opening segment here was tremendous. So much fun from start to finish with the heels corpsing as so many before them have, including Brock Lesnar, with truth. Priest especially struggled to contain himself, which is always fun. It was also a smart way to kind of continue this mini storyline and put it into the street fight because now truth actually has a reason to say he deserves to be in their crew. Plus, it was totally in character for Priest to be down with the stipulation because he's only always been iffy about McDonough. And I loved how it addressed the trope of wrestlers creating a challenge on screen for a match that's already been booked or announced before the show and how it was basically WWE spoofing its own bloodline Sami Zayn story. The match was solid, I guess, in its agency from bell to bell, but truth, like, he looked gassed and he moved real slow in the finish. It didn't make complete sense that Dom was ringside and it was a street fight, but they didn't double team him two on one. Despite that, it gets a double good for the segment and the match. 
Yeah, no, it, it, it's a good for sure. By the way, our truth is 51 years old. He is. <laughs> like, I, I know he was gassed at the end, but still, he was moving out there pretty well. He, you know, he, he definitely deserves to be out there. That's older than Rey Mysterio, too, as, as we just mentioned. Um, I was surprised Priest broke so often because, like, they knew what the segment was like, like they knew everything coming in. It wasn't like he, he wasn't like he popped an Usi line on them out of nowhere. Right. It was like the entire thing, the entire concept, just the presence of truth. He could not stop laughing at, which is fine. Cause normally he's the guy who kind of shuts that stuff down pretty, uh, pretty, pretty well. Um, I had not seen the marketing for the miracle on 34th street match did they do it in the intro if not i didn't see it on social media so like it was on social media that they promoted it so like when priest is like that's already been scheduled i was like oh i didn't know that (laughs) so like it seemed i'm sure a lot of people didn't know that either so that was interesting but i i and also shout out michael cole on the finish when our truth wins he he yells out joy to the world (laughs) so I, i thought that was a pretty funny way to wrap it up this was good like you know, I know I criticized last week because the beatdown of our truth was very short and limited. Um, but at least, you know, you kind of follow it up. You do a match. You kind of do this. Type, you're getting physical now with it. So it was fine. It's still a lot of comedy. But if it's going to be J.D. McDonough, you know, that's fine. Well, I was going to say, so how do you feel about this storyline in its totality? Because on one hand, I'm having fun. I mean, we had J.D. here looking like a guy in the 90s confused whether he should be in the Crips or the Bloods. But then on the other hand, I do want Judgment Day to be more serious given they hold two major championships on the brand right now. And WrestleMania season's about to begin. You want the tag team champions involved in something real and serious. It's been a lot of comedy for them recently. And while that's fine as an interim, and if they're just doing it like between now and day one, and then they're going to, take out our truth and then just actually move forward with something fresh. Fine. But I do feel like they need to flick that switch pretty soon. Right? Well, it's just, again, they're, they're, I get they're, Do they have anything going on at day one? I mean, like they did build toward a tag team match on this show. So like they did have that going on and our truth is not involved, but it was in almost that. secondary to the, our truth stuff, even it though was. it was a big deal and it main event of the show. R-Truth seems to be a bigger deal than anything else they're doing. I mean, Rhea Ripley's feud right now is with Ivy Nile, who I don't think she's had a singles match on main roster television yet. I'm going to get into criticism of the tag team stuff in a minute when we get to that. But but in terms of this, like, you're like, I do want it to get serious. I do want them to seriously, you know, beat down R-Truth to the point where they get heat. It's just like we said with Roman Reigns. Like, we don't fear him anymore. We don't Mm -hmm. fear Judgment Day anymore. Um, and I think we just we need to get back to that. And they have time to because there's a, we're in this lull right now. There's nothing going on. There's day one kind of like they're, they're, they're not building. They're not the Creed Brothers is not a major feud. You know, like they're not in a big story right now. So if you want to do our truth and some fun for a bit, that's fine. But at the end of it, it can't end with our truth standing tall in the <laughs> ring after a beatdown like we got last week. You yeah. know, like it's got to end with uh, him being sent out on a stretcher. Like you got to make us hate judgment day and booing Dominic because we don't like him and not because we like to boo him. Right. And I think they need to pull that all together. They got some time here, but as we get into 2024 and the rumble, I do want to see that switch. Yeah, definitely agree. No question. Uh, Later backstage judgment day was teasing McDonough before Ripley stepped in saying anyone losing reflects poorly on them. And it's not a joke. Priest got a bit serious telling McDonough he was out 
because he lost. And it got contentious between them, arguing over who makes decisions. Damien ultimately let him stay. And Rhea said, coming out of an Ivy Nile promo that we heard earlier, that she decided just to give her a title match to up the ante for next week. I'm glad this was all addressed. It was a good segment, even though the title match is just completely unnecessary. You cannot make that make sense to me. But they are loading up day one. They're trying to compete with the college football playoff. And again, we're going to talk about that on Friday's show. But because of that, Chris, it did make sense, you know, to say, hey, you know what? Throw a title match on there for casuals. Oh, they see a women's championship match. It's better than a women's singles match. For some reason, I thought that match was set for this week. So they either moved it or I was just wrong. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure either. Uh, my only note about the segment was JD's like in his gear, sweaty. Like this was two hours after the match <laughs> when they aired. Well, he was segment. sweaty. I mean, that was real. They didn't like put I'm, him in the shower. I, I, I'm gu- I'm guessing they pre-recorded it like maybe shortly after the match. But I was like, wait a minute, why is he still in his gear? And he looks like he's exhausted. Like he just got through the match. It happened two hours ago. I thought I don't know when it happened. It just it stuck out to me. Well, what was, your, what was your grade for it? Um, this stuff, this stuff was a good. Okay. Uh, Undisputed Tag Team Championship Judgment Day against Creed Brothers. This was the main event. The Creeds got a video package early in the show, and Cody wished them good luck later as a thank you for saving him last week. The Creeds totally fanboyed over him after that. The Creeds got some spots early, but Priest chucked Brutus over the announce table. Brutus got him back with a deadlift slam before Julius went on a hot tag run ending with a running shooting star press on Balor. Ripley attacked Nile only for Ivy to get Rhea on her shoulders and slam her into the ring apron. The Creeds then hit Brutus Ball on Balor for a broken fall. Julius flipped out of a choke slam, or actually flipped out of South of Heaven, and hit an Escalera cannonball outside. But Balor hit a sling blade and a shotgun dropkick, only to get caught on a coup de grace attempt by a box-jumping Julius. Now, Priest tagged in blind. Problem is that Balor's legs were not on the top rope, but outside the ring. So technically he didn't, but I digress. Brutus knocked Balor down and hit the Brutus ball on Priest, whose head straight up slammed into the canvas. I do hope he's okay. Balor broke the fall with a coup de grace to Julius's back. Priest finally connected with South of Heaven to retain the titles. Now the cover was delayed and Julius kicked out at like, 3.1 commentary missed that moment and they didn't sell it that it was close and he almost kicked out. So it makes me wonder if that was on purpose, if it was accidental, why it happened. Flaws were the kick out either way it went and the finisher hurting priest the second week in a row that Brutus ball has hurt someone. And as I said, regardless of whether it leads to injuries or not, They need and deserve a better finisher given their talent and athleticism. That is a piece of shit. It's not only stupid, as we have now seen two weeks in a row, it's dangerous for that reason. Uh, Perfectly laid out match, the right winners, as cool as it would have been to strap the Rockets to the Creed's Judgment Day is too strong to lose an undisputed title like they have to a team like this at this juncture. It's an easy good, but I'll tell you, I was rolling in A territory for this match. The finish took me away from that. Four stars, A minus. I just had to downgrade it at the end because of the danger and because of the way the finish transpired. So like I, I like, like, like you, I like the general match and most of it was good, but there were several 
issues before, during, and after that I had that really just kind of took away from it. Start from the beginning. Okay. We 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 get a vignette of the Creed brothers showing like an attempt to kind of tell us who they are mm-hmm. because we've never really gotten that. Except all they show us is them winning an NXT and working out, and they say that they're brothers, and they mentioned that one time. I like show me childhood photos of them together or videos like what do their parents think like there's there's a story here to tell about them we don't know who they are we just know what they are Mm -hmm. so like it was an attempt to give us a little bit of story but not much i always think back when it was it might have been the fatal four-way in the old nxt and becky lynch has that vignette where she talks about being trained by finn balor back in the day yes and like her story and Everything with Becky Lynch changed at that moment because we made a connection with her when that happened. Like there's a real story there. Mm-hmm. We don't have a story here with the Creed brothers. They're just doing cool stuff. Like that's great, but I'm not connecting with them. So I, I didn't love the vignette at the beginning. I like the attempt, but there's so much more we need to know about them. So this match is going on. And like you, I mentioned the Brutus bomb. They landed on like, you know, you hit them and then you land on them on the fall. That happened twice in this match. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I'm not sure which one hurt, you know. Well, Balor, Balor escaped. He was OK, but Priest is the one who got hurt. Yeah. yeah. And so that was that was brutal to watch a couple of times. And then the kick out. I couldn't tell if he was meant to kick out like that and then commentary hypes it up. Or if he wasn't supposed to kick out because it was weird because it was delayed and mm-hmm. normally you kick out when it's delayed, but it was, you know, 1059 at that point. So I, th- that had to have been the finish, I imagine. But Priest looked kind of pissed off. He did. Uh, at the end of that. And he said something to him. And I, I don't know if it was because he was upset about the Brutus bomb or because the finish was weird. I, I don't know. But the finish really did take away from it. And honestly, it created, I think, some actual animosity between the teams <laughs> that I I think you could build off of from that point. Like, Probably, yeah. That, like, Priest being kind of pissed off at the end, real or not, like, that's what, what we just talked about. We want to see more. So, like, the structure and everything was good. You know, Creed Brothers did some really fun stuff, but a, a lot of those other things really took away from it. Don't know who the Creeds are. Brutus Bomb is dangerous. Finish was weird. And I'm going to give it a good, but man, it got it got sloppy. Yeah, he yelled at Julius or or said something, at least at Julius after the fall, I believe. Yeah. And then picked him up and chucked him out of the ring. Not one of those like nice, like, hey, get out of the ring like the segments over, you know, which he'll sometimes do just to clear the ring because there's 30 seconds left and they need to stand mm-hmm. tall and the person's not rolling out of the ring. Um, he threw him out out of the ring between the ropes. There was some stank on that. But again, we don't know why. Was it because of the Brutus ball because he got hurt? Was it because, and by the way, that wouldn't technically be Julius's fault, even though it's their move. You know, Brutus is the one in air and who missed, you know, maybe didn't hit him in the spot that he was supposed to hit him. But regardless, you're just pissed because you hit your head and maybe it really hurts or Maybe you have a concussion or who the hell knows. Ble- he was like bleeding from the ear or something like that. Yeah, like. that happened at some point. And, and and by the way, you can get vertigo from stuff like that happening. Maybe that's what happened. Like maybe he had a touch of vertigo and, you know, that can last. That's one of those things that you don't mess around with. I think it happened to Kenny Omega uh, a couple of years ago. It was a huge deal. Uh, so it could have been that. 
it could have been the kickout where he's just like, what that you're upstaging me with a kickout. Like that's very unprofessional if it's not planned, but we don't, you know, have that answer right now. So something happened at the end of the match. I'm glad we both pointed it out and contextualized it, but it's a shrug because we don't exactly know the specifics. So let's go ahead and move on. Uh, Shinsuke Nakamura backstage read the American nightmare before Christmas to Cody Rhodes in English. It was a combination video package with some anime elements as he insulted Cody and he called Dusty inbred before saying that this would be Cody's last fight. Rhodes surprised with a blindside attack and a brawl into the arena where he took out four security guards. He was ready to hit crossroads atop an announce table when one security guard literally pulled Shinsuke to safety. And that was odd for me because I cannot remember seeing a security guard like save a wrestler who's firmly in the grasp of a move, maybe two or three security guards or something like that. But it was one dude who just saved Shinsuke, almost like he was his friend. But aside from that, this was exceptionally well done as everything that Nakamura has done recently has been. He did a great job reading in English. The story was actually written well, whoever put that together. And I legit did not expect the attack there, but it added just enough animosity to be a final chapter, pun intended, before the day one match. Plus, Shinsuke calling Dusty inbred, how do the kids say it? Totally out of pocket. Popped me, definite good. I was, um, this was another one where I kind of got taken out of the moment because it it seemed like it was a pre-tape because we're getting highlights over him reading it. And then you get him in a, so I'm thinking pre-tape. And then you get, then you get Cody interrupting it. And I'm like, wait, so was this live? And, 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 and they were just putting the videos over because they knew he, what he was going to say, or is this part of the pre-tape and they just went with it because Cody beat him up. I, I don't know. I was a little, it was one of those, like kind of like those AEW back and forth promos where you're like, wait, how exactly is this working uh, in, in the structure of it? I thought it was, wait a minute, hold on um, the way they do it. First of all, yeah. if, if it was pre-taped, which I didn't actually consider that, but now that you're saying it, it makes sense for it to have been is they do everything and then they just roll out of the curtain. That's what they did. Right. But, but I'm saying like, what is, if it was a pre-tape, does it like Shinsuke had, had a knock Nakamura was taunting Cody, but Cody attacked him. Let's go. We, we've got the footage or, or, or is it like, Oh, you you're saying, oh, oh, you're saying like, how did Shinsuke cut the promo with the video with Cody seeing all of that at the same time? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I, I would assume Cody, you know, in, in kayfabe, if I was going to be William Regal and give you the kayfabe explanation, I would assume Cody was waiting in the wings, saw Nakamura, heard what he was saying. The video package, the video part didn't matter to him. It was Cody insulting his father and mentioned his right. daughter that's, and shit. So he attacked him. What and made, that's it. Yeah. That's just what made me think. Again, this is it's, it's nothing. I'm just I'm being nitpicky. Gotcha. About it, but I, I thought it was um I thought it was like okay, you know, like oh, on a show when. You know, overall on a show where we had some really, really good stuff, this was pretty quick. And I'm getting I'm getting a little bored of Shinsuke just saying something into the screen, sometimes with subtitles, sometimes not. Um, like it was fine. They're they're fighting a day one, I assume. Right. Yeah, that's the day one match. Yeah. One of the huge matches on that show for sure. Yeah. So like, all right, like it was fine. This isn't the biggest match or even the second or third biggest match, I think, probably on that card or on that uh, show. So. I would say it's the I, second biggest match on that show, unless Becky Nia Jax is bigger to you, but I don't think it is. Uh, I think Rhea Ripley in a title match could be too. Against um, Ivy Nile? I don't know about that. 
Yeah. Yes. So it was okay. I, I'll give it a light good. Uh, I didn't love it. I'm it surprised. I, I'm really surprised you didn't love that. I loved it. I thought it was great. It was, just, it was really just the security guard that bothered me. Oh, and there was, wait, there was one more thing I wrote down. Uh, it, yeah, it was also weird, like Nakamura, okay, again, like pulling out a kayfabe here, like Nakamura's like cutting this promo, but he's just like out in the open, apparently. Like normally, like when you're looking into the camera doing these things, you're like in a room, but then Cody attacks and you see he's just in the hallway. Like everybody could see what he was doing. He wasn't really like hiding what he was trying to do here. So I just, okay. that was weird to me too. I think you're nitpicking a little too much on this, but, but that's fine to each their own. Uh, Intercontinental Championship, Gunther against The Miz. So Kofi Claus was backstage handing out presents and gave DIY a Yeet shirt. Then they found The Miz and shook his hand to make amends, saying last week was awesome. Miz said in an interview he cracked Gunther's foundation and will take him out entirely. Now, the stipulation here, just to remind everyone, was that if Miz loses, he could never challenge Gunther for the Intercontinental Championship again. So Miz surprised with some catch wrestling early. He ate a powerbomb on the ring apron and got destroyed back inside. Gunther chopped him laying on the top rope, but Miz dodged a chop into the ring post and then worked the hand back inside the ring. Miz hit three DDTs, one of them tornado, but Gunther came back with a shotgun dropkick and a powerbomb stack for a false finish. He immediately moved into a Boston Crab, but Miz used a rope break. Miz then laughed while taking chops and nearly caught Gunther in a pinning combination. Then he hit skull-crushing finale for a false finish. Gunther caught Miz running with a massive lariat, only to eat an avalanche skull-crushing finale. He rolled out of the ring to avoid a cover, which was delayed because Miz had to recover. But Gunther baited him. He got back in the ring, caught Miz with a powerbomb, a freaking rainmaker, and then a second powerbomb for the stacked one, two, three to retain the title. There are only two times in decades of watching The Miz where he had a truly memorable one-on-one singles match. And that was against Dolph Ziggler at No Mercy 2016. You could also say John Morrison, they had a false count anywhere match that was pretty good. But the Ziggler match at No Mercy 2016, which I believe was title versus career, if memory serves, stands out huge. The Seth Rollins one at Backlash 2018 was also good, but I digress, let me get back to this. This was as good as the Ziggler match, and I can completely understand some liking it more. One of my favorite WWE TV matches of the entire year, tremendous babyface story with Miz working from under, as Gunther looked immensely vulnerable in victory, and it played right into Miz's promo about cracking the foundation and then trying to kick it out from under him. I am not sure what else you could want. Fuck, this was good. And holy shit, was it a banger. 4.5 stars, A. This is incredible. This is the best match of Miz's career, without a doubt. Like, he... The last like year or so, he's kind of like almost made a point to show that like he can be a really good wrestler. Like he's catching people doing dives outside and stuff like that. Like he he's always had this in him. And I've seen a lot of the kind of the internet smart fans like kind of coming around on Miz and, and stuff like that. And you know, this this told several stories. It it told cracking the foundation, like you said, but it also showed that like 
Miz can take a beating. He's getting chopped. Absolutely. He's like almost bleeding from the chest. We never see that. This is the guy who yelled at Daniel Bryan that he, that he mm-hmm. always wrestles safe and he doesn't get hurt because he doesn't take chances because he knows how to just simply, you know, hang around. And this was Miz instead going to that next level that he's almost never gone to before to get back this intercontinental title that he defended to Daniel Bryan in that talking smack promo Mm -hmm. way back when this is the belt that matters to him. And they told that story leading into and during the match. The only, the only thing I wished they had done that they didn't do when Miz kicks out of the power bomb, it immediately goes into a a Boston crab. Uh, And I was like, man, like the crowd wanted to erupt. Right, you wanted the moment. Sticking out. Yeah. They wanted to, oh, oh, oh okay, okay, we're, we're going into the rope. Now we're doing the rope grab type of thing. It's like, oh, that was a that was a great false finish. I thought it was over. Totally got me. And instead of like kind of taking in that moment, we're immediately going into the something else. It's like, ah, would have really liked that. But man, skull crushing finale from the top rope. Has he ever done that before? Middle, but yeah, he has done it before, I think. Um, I, but Avalanche Skull Crushing Finale, it was a great looking move. Unbelievable. It's like, man, yeah. Miz is pulling out all the stops here and it wasn't enough. Man, this freaking ruled. Uh, he is having a hell of a year, Miz is. Between this, between the promo with nobody else in the ring pretending it was John Cena, like mm-hmm. two of the oh. biggest, <laughs> yeah. two of the best moments of Miz's career have happened this year. He continues to kill it and this was, I think, a new highlight. I think this was the this is the greatest match you ever had. You made two salient points. One was that this was the antithesis of the way Miz has built his career, which is by being safe and having mm-hmm. good, good matches, but not great matches, not really putting his body on the line. That way he can stay healthy and do all the things that WWE, you know, wants him to do. He said he said it himself. He's like, I have a hot wife. I'm rich. I've had a long career. I've had multiple championships. Why do I need to put my body on the line? Well, dude put his body on the line in this match. And the other point you made um, was just about him like upping his work rate over the last year. It's extremely similar to what John Cena did at the end of his truly full-time career when he had Mm -hmm. that feud with AJ Styles. And he said, you know what? They say I can't wrestle. I'm going to prove I can. And he broke out new moves and he had just had banger after banger with AJ Styles. Quite similar. Now, this match blew the first Miz Gunther match out of the freaking water. But he did show some stuff there. He showed his quality wrestling in multiple matches preceding that. But this, this was the cherry on top. This was a crowning moment. I almost wish they saved this for day one because this deserved to be on a special show or a premium live event or something. But or man, a main event of Raw. Or a main event of Raw. It was the middle of the show. Yeah, it was right in the middle of the show. But dude, it was freaking phenomenal like it was a legit four or five a like this is as good as you can usually get for a television match and they gave it to us and i'm not saying it came out of nowhere because gunther is gunther and like legit wrestler of the year contender no question but gunther and miz the way they work together it was just outstanding and I, i had another thing for you before we move on here do you ever just laugh when gunther chops or smashes someone with a lariat Cause like it happens to me probably once a match when he wrestles. And in this match, it happened like five times where he just chopped Miz. And I laughed almost imagining the pain of it 
and how ridiculous it was that Miz was taking this move. I just want to know if I'm the only one who does that or not. I, I, I uh, with the lariats, I like chortle. That's what I mean. You know, kind of, yeah, yeah. Not, not laughing like it's comedy. Laughing like yeah, like a, <laughs> like holy crap. Yeah. yeah, that. Yes. Yeah. The 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 slaps to the chest. No, I I I don't like those because they look like they because they actually do hurt. So you like, like wince when he does those? Like, okay. Uh, I winced when I, I yeah. winced when I see those. Okay, fair enough. I'm curious. I'm curious what everyone else does. So go ahead and tweet us at Getting Overcast. Let let us know if you fall into either of those buckets or. If you don't react at all and you have no emotion and uh, you're a terrible person. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Imperium cheered Gunther backstage later in the show. He said they have no reason to be jolly given he's the only one contributing to their group's success. And 2023 was a total write-off for them. Gunther said he expects them to grind and impress him as he takes a deserved short vacation. Kofi Claus then gave them Cole. So I figured, well, we're going to get a New Day match. That was furthered by Imperium attacking Kofi later ringside as he was handing out gifts. Jay Uso made the save though, and he challenged Ludwig Kaiser to a match. So we get Jay and Kaiser. Chris, did you notice in this moment that Jay was wearing a blurred yeet shirt? Yes. I didn't actually notice it until you tweeted it. Oh, okay. Uh, on the account. Yeah. And I thought that's a great shirt, a hilarious idea. And actually my brother texted me an idea that I think would be a fun story somehow where like Roman Reigns like trademarks yeet and Jake can't use it. And so he's got <laughs> the blurry thing and he has to like fight Jimmy for a yeet or something like that. Like, <laughs> like this, like this period here, two months between pay-per-views would have been kind of the time to do it. Kind of like a yeah. funny thing, but really leaning since they're kind of leaning back into yeet and all that. I like Cody helps Jay get a lawyer and like, yeah, <laughs> do this whole thing. yeah like you do something <laughs> like it could be really fun, but no, that shirt uh, is pretty hilarious. It's honestly genius because of the trademark controversy. It, it, like if you're going to own a yeet shirt now, that's the one you have to own. Not the blue one, not the white one. You have to own the blurred yeet shirt as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Giovanni Vinci interfered. He nearly cost Jay the match. Kofi limped out from the back and took him out with trouble in paradise. Jay then caught Kaiser with a spear and Uso splash for the win. It was exactly what it needed to be. The match was fine. Jay badly needed the win because he's had a string of losses recently, but I'm actually hyped for both parts of the story. Gunther putting Imperium on notice and members of two of WWE's greatest tag teams in history linking up together for a feud. Xavier Woods has been out for a few weeks injured, so it's going to be cool to see Kofi and Jay get a match or two together before he comes back. This was good. Yeah, it, it was fine. Again, like a show with big stuff. This was fine. Jay gets back on the winning track. It's fine. It's a good. The only odd part of this, did you get a good look at Kofi's Santa suit? Like, did this bother anyone else? They basically put him in a Santa singlet that like an influencer or an Instagram model might wear like skin tight. He had a big gelatinous fake stomach and ass. Like it was actually kind of horrifying. If I'm being honest with you, it felt more like a Halloween costume than like a, than a Christmas costume. I never want to see Kofi dressed as Santa Claus ever again. I just saw the picture that he tweeted out. I did not notice that live on TV. Oh but my yes, God. He's got, he's got a giant ass, uh, hanging out of this. It was horrifying. <laughs> like Santa is supposed to be fat, but he's also supposed to be covered in clothes. <laughs> it was so weird. It just, it really put me off in the entire moment. All right, let's move 
to the Women's Tag Team Championship. Chelsea Green and Piper Niven against Caden Carter and Katana Chance. So the faces pumped themselves up backstage with a quick promo. The champions then tried to sweet talk Adam Pierce into getting out of the match, but obviously they threw a fit when it failed and he told them the match was on. Piper hit a double Vader bomb somehow for a false finish. Caden dodged Piper, who accidentally splashed Chelsea. Then she hit a spinning, springing leg drop on Green, who came back with her husband's rough rider, which was cool to see. Wade Barrett called it a leg lariat, and that's what it is, but I think you can call it rough rider, and everyone would have been totally cool with that. Chelsea caught Caden with a code breaker, and Piper added a senton right onto her back for a broken fall. The Casey's combined for a keg stand on Niven for a 2.9 broken fall. Chance then countered Unprettier into a code breaker, and the faces combined for the after party. And I cannot believe I'm freaking saying this as Caden Carter and Katana Chance won the WWE Women's Tag Team Championships in 10 minutes. I got to tell you, this was excellent. I'm not saying it was a great match or anything, but it was perfectly booked bell to bell. About four minutes into it, this crowd completely bought into the KCs and they were cheering for every single thing that they did. And this is precisely why, Chris, I was so frustrated over the last two weeks. Because if they actually got to shine and show off their skill in the lead up, this would have been an even bigger moment than it was. I know some of you listening out there are new to the show. A lot of you have been with us for a couple of years. Some of you have been listening to me talk about wrestling for like five years, basically the entirety of Casey Catanzaro's run in WWE. I've been talking about these two being main roster women's tag team champions because they're the best women's tag team in WWE, partially because they're the only real women's tag team in WWE for years now. And I will admit, I was a bit emotional for them in the finish because this has been a way too long time coming. Casey almost quit WWE a few years ago. She stuck it out with Caden, and now she's a champion. They have spent more than three years together, and they finally got to this point. Look, this is almost certainly going to be somewhat of a short-lived reign. More on that later in this segment. But I'll take it while we have it, and hopefully they get a couple solid wins on their resume so they're fully established even after dropping the titles. Obviously, I'm going with good here. I just hope it stays good and then remains good going forward. With a tear in my eye. That's how I felt coming out of this. I was stunned that they won. I, I, I didn't think it was going to happen. And the match was great. Both teams were doing tag team moves. And I got really into this match. And, and then they went. I was like, oh, okay, they're winning. They, they won. Like, imagine if we had a storyline around this, you know, what this could have been. Everything you just said there about almost quitting WWE, like, like, like we had a couple of weeks to maybe do something with this and they just really didn't. They mm -hmm. gave us a couple of vignettes of them at a, of, of the Casey's at an EDM festival. I was like, all right, like, okay. But like, again, they didn't really tell us who they were and they didn't really do much of a story between these teams. Like this, this turned out to be a big moment. And I was just like, man, we could have spent the last couple of weeks like really getting into it and then felt it when they won instead of being just surprised. I'm not as familiar with them as you are. Mm -hmm. 
they've done a lot of stuff in NXT for a while. Like, tell us that story of, you know, like, like more than just like a video. Like, again, show us old pictures, do a sit down interview, like really could have leaned into that. And then this moment happens and I'm like, oh, man, I'm, I was I wasn't like necessarily rooting for them going into this match because mm-hmm. I don't really connect with them. And I've been a big fan of Chelsea and Piper. I wish they had done more with them as a team, because I think the few things that they've done have been really good. There's a ton of potential there. Uh, great dynamic of you know the, the big powerhouse and the, the one who's always trying to get away. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know what's next. You you may kind of seem to know what's going on next year, but uh happy for the KCs. I just wish they had a tag team name. (laughs) Yeah. And we, so we could have kind of gotten a bit of a more connection and they just kind of built a storyline between these two teams moving forward because they have great chemistry. This was a great match. Yeah. I'd love to see these. I'd love to see these teams do it again. Uh, Just kind of give us some more juice behind it. This was a really solid, like 3.25 star ish B match, like totally worthwhile. The best women's tag team match we've had in a long time. Let's not discount, by the way, Chelsea and Piper plus, you know, Sonia too. 154-day title reign. That's the longest for the women's tag team championships since the Kabuki Warriors back in 2019. So that is wow. significant. Now, it's the second longest ever since these were initially introduced in 2019. So, like, that matters. And, I mean, they did talk about them having a long reign and they did a good job in the match. But yes, to what I said and to what you said, if they just spent like a grand total of seven more minutes on this over the last two weeks coming in, then this would have been an even bigger deal and the Casey's would be even more established. And yes, like, again, why don't they have a name? They're a firmly <laughs> established team. Casey Express, Casey Squared. I mean, it's right there for you. Like, Come up with something else, like uh, something using KNC that isn't their names, and then all three things are KNC. Like, I don't know. There's a million things they could do. So it's immensely frustrating. I played Ric Flair, but I also meant to play these. Thank you. Congratulations to me. Because I feel redeemed that the Casey's are now the women's tag team champions. And I just love that they did it. And before we get to what may be next here, I'm not sure if you noticed or if you saw it. There was a little bit of controversy coming out of this match, Chris. Obviously, we love Samantha Urban, friend of the show. And we love her ring announcing. She did not put Stank on Chelsea Green during the announce coming into the match. It was noticeable in the moment. And Sam actually replied on Twitter to about a dozen people. And she said it was not her call. And then Chelsea tweeted about it this morning saying she believes Adam Pierce was to blame and she would retrain Sam and teach her how to do it. So I'm really curious if this was like Triple H telling Samantha to change it because they're going to book Chelsea more serious going forward. If someone stepped out of line and gave her an instruction to change it and that's going to get reversed. Or if this is like some mini storyline they're doing to appeal to the IWC. I'll let you know if I hear anything but this actually was a mini controversy that happened coming out of Raw. And I understand it because the stank on Chelsea Green, and I'm sorry I butchered it, Sam, if you're listening to the show. I can't do it anywhere near as well as you do. But the stank on it is so crucial to the announce for Chelsea Green. They can't let it go. I'm glad fans noticed it, and I hope it comes back. I didn't catch it live or any of the fallout, so I'm glad you mentioned that. I didn't I didn't pay attention to it again during the show, but... 
Did, do we know if she gave the normal announcement for Ludwig Kaiser? She did, and she did it for Gunther. Okay, yeah. So that that is interesting. Not not sure uh, what that is, but you're right. That was like a that's part of her character, kind of. <laughs> it is as a tag team. So I'm not sure. Interesting. Now, Kofi Claus found the new champions backstage. They said they didn't need anything else for Christmas. They have, of course, the titles. Candice LeRae and Indy Hartwell cheered for them, and they went off to party with them, while Zoe Stark and Shayna Baszler, plus Natalia and Tegan Knox, decided they should fight to become the next challengers. As I was saying a moment ago, the Casey's, they need wins now. I would like to see them run through all three of these teams before anything else happens to the titles. It's nice to see that Triple H has actually established six women's tag teams across two brands right now, but only one of them has a name and the other teams really do need to gel together more. So I just wanted to mention this. I don't know if you had anything to say, but we'll go back and talk about the women's tag team championships a little bit later in the segment. Uh, no, not nothing really. Okay. Becky Lynch interrupted Nia Jax before she could even say a word in the ring. So Nia just dipped out. Jack said she was announcing her Royal Rumble entry, and Lynch correctly pointed out the fans just don't care. Nia said they haven't fought because the authority is scared that she would kill Becky, and Becky is clearly the moneymaker for WWE. Lynch said, yeah, that, that's true. I am the moneymaker. But the real reason that we won't fight is because your entire career is built on the back of your cousin, The Rock, and breaking the man's nose. And it all goes away if Becky beats her clean. Nia called out a ref and feigned being ready to fight right there. She was so pissed off, saying it's going to happen on her terms, actually, and it's going to happen in her hometown of San Diego on day one. Then she talked shit about making Becky ugly in front of her daughter and made the cardinal sin of turning her back on an angry baby face. That led to a Becky attack and a brawl. If memory serves, Chris, we both gave this a good last week, though I was indifferent to it. And you thought it was pretty solid what they did. This I week, I thought, blew last week out of the water. They were both completely on point, And this might have been Nia's best like back and forth promo segment ever, or at least her best since the Alexa Bliss feud. Becky obviously blew her out of the water with her promo, but she's also the greatest ever on the mic, so you can't really fault Nia for that. The storyline made itself years ago. The way they've revisited it with such animus has been perfect especially because Becky isn't so much mad at the punch. She's mad that Nia's built a career off of it. This is what we always talk about when we say there needs to be more non-title women's feuds. Now we're getting them, but yeah. they pretty much only involve Becky. Time to expand that to the rest of the roster. No doubt for me, this was good. Right. This is, this feels like the biggest women's storyline going on. And yes, it's the one it's the one I'm most interested in. It's the one that has the most heat, just like it was when it was when it was Becky and Trish Stratus. Like that, that that is the value of being a good promo and having a story behind things. And you're right. Becky's maybe the greatest ever on the mic for the women. Nia is holding her own here. Mm -hmm. And that's really, really important. And it helps, again, that they're building off of real life. The story here is just natural. It's Nia saying you only got to where you were because. I broke your nose and you know, that's a reason you should be scared of me. We never got that payoff. Like we said, so like it, it's an easy story to tell. They're both leaning into it very well. They're both doing a really good job. I'm super into it. This is just like clearly, clearly good. The last couple of weeks have been good. I'm, I'm fired up for this match. Yeah. Completely agree with you. 
Bailey led an extended damage control promo package where the rest of the stable kind of stood behind her with Bailey crowing about forming the most dominant faction for women in WWE history. She brought in Io Sky calling her special. Io said in Japanese with subtitles that it's her era and she's the most powerful and dangerous champion. Then Bailey named the Kabuki Warriors. They stepped in followed by Dakota Kai saying they were ready to change the game. Bailey called Dakota the mastermind and said the focus was on the Warriors winning the tag team titles and Bailey winning the Royal Rumble before defeating Rhea Ripley. That way, Damage Control had all the gold in WWE. This was excellent. Like everything worked from the aesthetics to the promo to how everyone got involved speaking and had their own role and their own goals. And they also gave Dakota something like to do. Like she's the mastermind. Like she is, she's strategic. There's a reason that she's still there, even though she's injured. Best of all is after the animosity we've seen from the last few weeks, they all appeared to be on the same page. The idea of damage control ultimately splitting up and Bailey turning babyface is fine. We want that. But it felt like WWE was rushing it. That's what we said a couple weeks ago. Now it feels like we might have a month or two months where this can breathe and grow before maybe turning into a storyline that develops at the Rumble or coming out of the Rumble at Elimination Chamber or out of Elimination Chamber going into WrestleMania because there's going to be like six weeks between Chamber and Mania. One of my favorite parts of SmackDown was this segment, which is really no surprise because it was almost exactly what I said I wanted them to make a real attempt at being a dominant women's faction. Undoubtedly, this was good. This was a good, this was, I think, the most interesting thing damage control has ever done. Very, yeah, I'm, I'm down with that. Sure. From the, from the very beginning of Bailey taking credit for Charlotte getting hurt to her promo where it didn't feel like she's playing a bad guy or trying to be annoying type of heel or like smarmy heel. She was being dead serious heel. And I was totally into that. They, they made it clear for the first time, kind of what damage control wants to do. Yep. Like they have, they have a purpose now. They want to be the most dominant women's faction and they want to run rough shot over everybody on SmackDown. It's exactly what I wanted them to be. It's exactly what they should be. When you've got five women, when you have these numbers, you should be able to do that. So they've got a purpose. They've got a goal. It was awesome. This was terrific. Yeah, absolutely good. They absolutely nailed it. I wish we could keep talking about it and there's more to, to go on here, but there is another segment. And also we'll see what happens this coming Friday on SmackDown. Uh, Meechin and Zelina Vega fought the Kabuki Warriors. Now this was spurned on from last week's attack. The faces beat down the heels during their entrance, which was a nice change of pace. Zelina hit Andrade's hammerlock DDT and a 619 on Kyrie Sane, but she just no-sold it with a back fist. Asuka tagged in for an Asuka lock, but Vega escaped a pin counter and Meechin hit a cradle slam kind of move. Kyrie took out Zelina with an Alabama slam into the announce table and Bailey pushed Meechin off the top rope during a distraction with Kyrie hitting insane elbow for the win. Bailey then got hugs from everyone at ringside. This was exactly what it needed to be. The Warriors are the ones getting the push, so they needed to win, but the faces got plenty of time to show their stuff in the match. Way better than the equivalent women's tag team matches that we had been getting on Raw that I was criticizing. Meechin in particular, and we like Zelina and she's talented, but Meechin reminded she has a real unique moveset 
And she should have a more consistent place wrestling on TV in this division. I'd like to see Unholy Union get involved so these teams could all interact more, but it just seems like they've been forgotten again. Six months without a match. I just don't get it. They tease them again. They haven't shown up. I digress. This was good. This was good. I was fired up that the Kabuki Warriors are back with their theme. Yes. Their theme is an absolute banger. Totally. And instead of coming out with the damage control theme, they come out with their own theme. Loved it. They win the match the way they do. Everything goes on. And Kevin Patrick goes, is, is there anybody who can stop damage control? Boom. That's exactly mm-hmm. what you want to say in that moment. That's the that's the message you're sending from everything that happened there. Loved it. This is everything I've wanted them to be since they started. Now they've got five. Now they've got a tag team with a great theme. It's it's all it's, it's been what a year and a half of damage control. Yeah. Now SummerSlam, you know, twenty twenty two. Yeah. Yeah, and it feels like now they kind of finally have something here. They do. Now, this is what I was alluding to earlier. If you're bringing the Warriors back, putting them back together with Kyrie and Asuka, and you have Bailey state that they're targeting the titles, it makes it obvious the KCs are going to be transitional champions and the Warriors are going to be the ones taking the titles into WrestleMania. And that's totally fine. They're the stars compared to the KCs. It's not even close. But like I said earlier, You need to build the Casey's up with multiple defenses where they get to shine. They hold the titles for 35, 40, 50 days, something like that. Then you allow them to drop the straps. That way they stay popular after the loss. And if and when they do lose, you have them immediately get into another feud that they win. Keep them hot. The big question is what WWE has planned for the Warriors opponent-wise. Because Chris... Bailey has a certain friend that would make a perfect teammate. You might even say she could make a statement and they could go after Asuka and Kyrie. I almost called her Carrie. Kyrie at WrestleMania. I think that makes way too much sense. It does. It would be a quick turnaround for all of that. Because mm-hmm. um, you kind of have to build up the Kabuki Warriors, get the titles, then turn on Bailey right at the, you know, not long after the moment when. I think we all finally got into damage control. So um, that's possible. It's it's certainly on the table. I mean, they could do it longer. The- they, they could drag it out longer and do it, you know, for backlash I, it, it, or they could do it, it for SummerSlam. Like, you know, it's hard to it's hard to know what what, what Sasha Banks wants to do, because there are the reports that, hey, AEW's plans are kind of not happening now. But I don't know. We never really quite know with Mercedes Monet. We do not. Uh, Let's go to the United States Championship number one contendership tournament. And I said that entire thing because it's a huge pet peeve for me. WWE is calling this the United States Championship tournament. It's not. There's a champion. It's a number one contendership tournament. It bothers the hell out of me. Had to say it off the top. Carmelo Hayes against Grayson Waller was the next, I believe, let's call it a quarterfinal match. Melo got a strong promo package to hype up uh, his first, I think, main roster match. Logan Paul sent in a video promo propping up Waller and shitting all over Hayes as being a nobody. The crowd was completely dead early until Mello hit the fadeaway leg drop and a springboard clothesline. Waller came back with a super overdrive, which is like a rotating DDT using a leg instead of an arm. Commentary didn't know what to call it. Mello came back with a springboard DDT and caught Waller rolling with a code breaker before hitting nothing but net for the win to a really nice pop for a debut, especially in front of a shitty crowd. Like, I wish the Green Bay fans were better here because 
These guys did great work throughout, not just in the finish. And Mello being positioned to get over was definitely the right call. They were up for the finish, like I said, but just dead for the rest. Mello looked great. And again, he proved he's main roster ready. I know that you haven't seen as much of him as I have watching NXT on a regular basis. This was an easy good, but more than you're great, I'm curious what you thought about Carmelo Hayes. Yeah, he's great. I, I've, I've seen him a few times, seen some of his big matches that he's done in NXT and clearly major star potential there. Makes sense to put him in here. You know, get a win over Grayson Waller, a guy who doesn't need a lot of wins. Uh, and it was it was fun. It was good. Okay. The other match was Kevin Owens against Austin Theory. Chris, before we even get into this match, we need to talk about KO's brand new AR graphic, which was a comically terrible brick wall knocked down by a wrecking ball, except the brick wall looked like it was from a Windows 95 screensaver and the wrecking ball just sat there. Like it wasn't animated to go through it. Like we have Ivar who has a ghost Viking ship that moves across the screen. And then for KO, we have a wrecking ball that just sits there with his name on it. It was freaking atrocious. Probably the worst thing WWE has done like this since that Uso penitentiary jail cell Lockdown graphic. I just had to get that out for the KO AR graphic. Zero point zero. What thoughts do you have? He feels like the kind of guy who doesn't need one of those. Does you know? not. Like the the, the 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 you know the riff at the beginning, and then he's just coming out looking for a fight. I I don't really. He's not like is 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 the idea because like he does the cannonball move. Is that like the the connection there? I, yeah, and also like you're breaking a wall. It's like the glass shattering. They're trying to make a couple Austin connections. I think I don't know. Right, but we're not getting a sound a yeah. wall sound with it, which we don't need to. I think his music and, is terrific. And so. also, I know yeah. you're not a huge NXT guy, but if you're gonna do like a a brick wall breaking, wouldn't you do that when you debut Braun Breaker, who breaks yeah. walls all the time in NXT? Like, what are we doing here? Yeah, no, I just I don't think Kevin Kevin Owens specifically is like he he's one who doesn't need that. You know, like he he wrestles in a he just he wrestles in a shirt and he's just like man of the people type of thing. He doesn't need the fancy stuff. I don't like that. Yeah, didn't like it. Uh, Logan did the same video promo for the match, supporting theory and ripping Owens look again, his body and, and the way he dresses. KO sold the broken hand that he got from a week ago with a working cast and took a huge spot on the ring apron. The hand failed him multiple times, including on a pop-up powerbomb attempt. Theory hit a seated springboard Spanish fly. That needs a name, by the way, because it's a great signature move. Uh, but he got countered into a suplex off the ropes. KO barely beat a 10 count and ate a rolling blockbuster. He came back hitting a cannonball into Theory while in Tree of Woe plus a Swanton Bomb. Theory grabbed KO's hand to avoid a stunner, kicking it, slamming it into the ring post, and stomping it on the steel steps. Owens responded with a haymaker using the cast for the one, two, three. And then he smirked afterward, like realizing, hey, I can use this shit as an advantage. This worked in kayfabe. Historically, any type of brace can be used as a weapon as long as it's not removed from the body. And this was pretty damn good. To your brace point, that's why like D'Lo Brown could wear the chest protector. Like that was Correct. That was part of the gimmick. That's why Roman Reigns wearing the chest protector as a face never like worked. Like it just, it didn't look right. That's why Kevin Owens winning, like realizing he kind of accidentally won, you know, using a foreign object, so to speak. That That's how you sell that as a face. And everybody wants to see Austin Theory get punched. So it was good. Also, the, the Logan Paul promo again, I don't, I don't like all these shots at, 
Kevin Owens' body because right. it take it takes away like it kind of takes away from Kevin Owens as a character, like makes you take him less seriously. Mm-hmm. And especially because we think Logan Paul's probably gonna win their Royal Rumble match or whatever. We assume Logan Paul is going to go into WrestleMania as champion. I'd rather it be kind of the story he told with LA Knight. Maybe he will tell with LA Knight at WrestleMania, but it's it's Kevin Owens. You've been doing this for like 20 years. I just started and I'm a champion. Like right. that's, that's such a natural, easy heel thing to do as opposed to like, saying you look like a chubby boy wearing yeah, a t-shirt. Because then it's like, Kevin Owens can't change that. You know, like, he's always going to be like that. Well, it's like you have the, you're fighting for the opportunity to face me. Meanwhile, I've been doing this 120th as long as you, and I'm the champion that you're chasing. Like, you're right. That's yeah. that's the storyline. So I, I agree that it's frustrating. It's very basic. And I think they can all do better than that. Before I forget and we move on, as this match began, Corey Graves uh, dropped this the face he punched theory in the face theory was simply trying to get even and look out for the safety of everybody backstage i was in fear of my safety a few times oh come on (laughs) so a little bit of a tony khan reference there pretty sly i thought it was funny that he snuck it in like that do you think do you think kevin patrick got it no i don't i I, because like sometimes Corey grace has these lines and i like I think he plans them, but I don't know if it's. I don't think it's like. Oh, he definitely you know, plans tri- them. Corey does. I don't think it's like Triple H tells him to say them or something like that. So I just I wonder if Kevin Patrick sometimes is like ready for that. Yeah, I think it's just like it's one of those things where someone says something and others laugh, so you know that you should laugh also, but you don't actually know what they're saying or you know what the joke is. Not that I've ever done that, of course, but other people. Uh, later backstage, Cameron Grimes told KO he wished he could punch Theory like he did with the cast. Owens then compared Mello's debut on SmackDown to when he debuted out of NXT against John Cena. Mello came up, he respectfully approached him, uh, but he showed a lot of confidence saying he wasn't gonna let Owens beat him like Waller and he wasn't gonna get little broed either. KO had a funny bit asking Kayla Braxton like if she knew what that meant. Bon- <laughs> this is just like a bonus good for a bonus segment that let fans see some of Mello's personality going up against a guy who has plenty of personality. And of course, they're gonna be fighting next week so it made sense to give him that moment. Hayes is certainly going to lose to Owens, but if you're going to do that, you need to make him look as strong as possible in the interim. So showing confidence against him here, and hopefully their match next week is really good, or this coming Friday, I should say, is really good. That'll be a good way to say, thumbs up, Mello. Now go back to NXT, finish your story there. And then, of course, call you up to the main roster, maybe after WrestleMania. I would expect the same. One other thing I loved, Austin Theory's shorts. Uh, I, I just noticed it for the first time. Don't know if it was new, but he had the smack, the old original SmackDown logo yes. on his shorts that said, I think probably Austin Theory Live or something like that. I thought that was cool. I liked it. He has had that before. I think he was wearing maybe green on this episode, so it was different. Maybe it stood out yeah. more, but he's definitely used variations of that you know, in the past. Uh, Santos yeah. Escobar also got a promo package where he laid out his turn on Rey Mysterio and his excitement to face Bobby Lashley. Escobar said Lashley, was all surface level. Basically, I think he said he had popcorn muscles is what he was implying. And he admitted for the first time that he gave the brass knuckles to Logan and footage was shown of him doing it. And he's basically claimed that he was responsible for Paul being the United States champion, which is pretty much true. Lashley had the Street Profits in tow, co-signing as he cut a live promo. Angelo Dawkins actually had a really good line here saying it would be dominance on arrival. That's the name. Done and done. It's right there. Maybe it was purposeful that he said it. Maybe not. 
Dominance on arrival, DOA, works great. Yes, there was a DOA previously. I was going to say, and that's not a DOA you want to really associate. Not really, but dominance (laughs) on arrival works. Uh, Both of these I thought were great segments, making this an overall good. Just smart to have Santos fully admit to pulling the trigger on Ray, which we had not gotten before. Yes, uh, and for those who didn't, the the old DOA was the Disciples of Apocalypse (laughs) back in the late 90s. Motorcycle type of... Who gang uh, with got some into some curious. really kind of weird stuff personally yeah. outside of that. So um it was Nation of Domination, so, Los Bariquas, and uh DOA. Yeah. Yeah. So so is Bobby Lashley just like a face now? Are we just are we going with that? It's interesting. There was a huge reaction online last week to Lashley still getting cheered. And this kind of felt like they're at least trying to make them an actual tweener group instead of just a pure heel group. The fans want to cheer Lashley. The fans generally want to cheer the Street Profits. I agreed with making them heels. They just haven't been booked well. No. And that's the problem. So if you want to make them heels, make them heels. But book them better. And if you want them to be tweeners, okay. But you need to actually give them screen time, like what they're doing with Drew McIntyre. Drew's a tweener. I mean, he's more of a heel now, but he's largely a tweener as they got across in that segment but they've given a story and reason for him being that way. Lashley and the Prophets are just like, all right, we're together because we think each other are kind of cool. And that's it. Well, and, pe- and people like Bobby Lashley. Like they just, when he came back. Yeah, fans they, like him. Yeah. You, they like, because they like to see him do cool stuff. They they do the pump for a well, song. He, he does tribute for the troops. It's one of the like, coolest oh, things, just, Chris. Like, just make him a good, like, just make him a good guy. The, the, the Street profit stuff's not working. I'm, people I'm, still like him and want to cheer for him. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but one of the actual successes of, like, the tail end of Vince McMahon's reign in creative was he got fans to absolutely love Bobby Lashley. And there was a period of time where they were truly indifferent to him, not just because of, like, the Lashley sisters deal with Sami Zayn, but there was a while where people just like, why is Lashley back on our TV? Like, what's he really doing here? But Lashley got immensely and completely over with her business and MVP. And then when he went babyface after that. So now you have this guy that's immensely over and you're bringing him back and people want to cheer for him and you're linking him with the street profits who people want to cheer for, but you're making him heels, but you're not really doing much for them to be seen as bad guys. That's problematic. Correct. Also, by the way, Bobby Lashley, again, 47 years old. Whew, man. Guy looks Incredible. 28. It's ridiculous. Uh, Akira Tozawa fought Ivar on Raw before the match. Adam Pierce confirmed this was actually the match Tozawa wanted. There was a fun little backstage moment with Alpha Academy later. Tozawa countered Ivar off the ropes with a great spike DDT, only to eat a seated slam, but he avoided a splash and ripped his shirt like Hulk Hogan. He hit his senton finisher for a false finish. Maxine Dupree sidestepped Valhalla into the barricade. Tozawa pushed Ivar into the post. That was a counter for a moonsault, but he stopped a Hurricanrana out of the corner, hitting an avalanche world's strongest slam for the win. Perfect low card match with a couple exciting spots, the right winner. Stuff like this is why I never understand why similar matches are booked so poorly. This was good. Well, and they just gave us a story. You know, they're like, hey, Tozawa's trying to, hey, go big. You know, this is a Tozawa Alpha Academy thing we've been doing for several weeks now. You know, we had the Nakamura match where, again, we thought that would be a squash. And instead, he kind of put up a fight. You know, he keeps working with Alpha Academy and he kind of puts up a fight against Ivor. You know, yeah. like, just give us a little bit of effort behind it. And 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 people are into it. During this match, Wade Barrett called Ivar's moonsault the doom salt, which is a 
fantastic freaking name. I just wanted to point that out. I hope it sticks. That's all I wanted to say. I I, I kind of like it. I yeah. like it. And lastly, Karrion Cross with Scarlet got a new vignette saying everything changed when he walked into the door of SmackDown and soon everything would crumble. There wasn't much to it, but the visuals were strong. He looked good wearing a white shirt and a leather jacket. And there might've been a couple clues in the background with some shadowy bodies and faces and stuff. Maybe this is going to be a group or a faction or something, and it's not just going to be Cross by himself. Proof is always in the pudding with him though. The guy came back and he unceremoniously lost last week, which was a strange decision if you're going to repackage him and use this seven days later. And this is also like the fourth repackaging in WWE. So I'm getting it a good, I'm giving it a good, I should say, but it's extremely provisional, like as provisional as something can be. We need to see what this is and then we can judge it because every time Cross returns, it's like, oh, maybe they have something here and then they just don't. Yeah, I was I was into it because, you know, like I remember Karrion Cross's return and then I honestly can't remember anything else he's done in the couple of years since. So right. like just going back to that moment and saying, hey, these things I talked about when I returned, like we're doing that now. OK, cool. But I, I, I'm fine with just kind of dismissing everything he's done over the last year or two because it was completely forgettable. So you want to just do a reset? Start there. OK, I'll give it a shot. So you're with me. Provisional good then. Yeah. Yeah. So look, last week in this segment, we had bads. I think I gave an ugly last week, but we just went through the good, the bad and the ugly. And I believe all of those were goods this week. You rub me yes. just right every week. Me and you. So they did it. We right before the end of the year, we, we've we been thinking, hey, are they going to be able to pull this off where they get no bads or uglies in a week? They succeeded. I'm not saying I loved SmackDown. I didn't necessarily love it. There was nothing wrong with it. And like I told you earlier, I just thought Raw was tremendous, top to bottom. Look, we had a women's tag team match that we loved. SmackDown got some stars back. We had a great promo from Drew McIntyre. Um, Interestingly, probably the main event was the thing among the things we liked the least. The most critical, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but even, by the way, the the US Championship uh, number one contendership matches, I think I gave both of them bad last week. This week was the opposite. Both of them were way better. Yeah, not not like a ton of amazing stuff, but nothing was bad. No, everything almost almost everything had a purpose, um, and that's that's all you're looking for. You are correct about that. So that, folks, was the good, the bad, and the ugly. I know today's show is going a little long, but we're not going to skip it. Let's tackle the last word. So DJ, take the needle and just drop it on the record. What? We gon' have a sp- popping in a second. That's why we always say the best cut lasts to make you scratch and mix for it like fresh cut grass. So Jason Jeter at J Jeter Leo wrote in. He said, now that Charlotte is out, I'm having a hard time getting Bianca Belair and Jade Cargill on the Mania card. I got EO versus Bailey, Becky versus Rhea, and a hodgepodge of the tag teams in a four-way. What else? Where would you put them? Is it too soon for them to face off one-on-one? So assuming Jade debuts at the Royal Rumble, which I think is a fair assumption as of now, you could definitely book her with Bianca one-on-one. One of them throws the other out, starts a feud, and it maybe continues in an elimination chamber match. They cost each other that match. They fight one-on-one at WrestleMania. It's actually pretty easy to do that. You even have Bianca go over Jade. Then you rematch it in 2025 for a title with Jade winning. That's the booking. But I actually agree. It's probably too soon for them to fight one-on-one. I think it would be better to save a first-time matchup for a huge stage that probably Jade would win. 
as discussed earlier, if the Kabuki Warriors take the women's tag team titles, there's that ready-made match with Bailey and Sasha Banks if she actually comes back. That would open up Io, and you could possibly do Io, Jade, and Bianca in a triple threat. Just like that, everyone's on the card. You could also put Jade in like a special women's showcase match, like they had for the tag teams last year, if you'll remember. You can do Jade, Raquel Rodriguez, Nia Jax, our returning Liv Morgan, Zelina Vega, and so on, like a six-way women's match. She gets a WrestleMania win. It's not for a title, but she still goes over and gets a big spotlight. So I think either of those options would work, but I agree with you, Jason. I would stay away from doing Bianca Jade on like a two-month build for WrestleMania. Yeah. Jade is, it's tough to figure out what to do. Charlotte seemed like the most obvious thing because you want her to come in and she looks so imposing that she needs to make a statement with her debut. That doesn't mean you win and you're suddenly in the title picture, but debuting at WrestleMania with a win over Charlotte, another really tall, you know, fit person like that establishes who Jade Cargill is. Bianca is on the same level, but it's just it's kind of just different between her and Charlotte. And I don't know if, you know, Bianca has been away for a bit, hasn't done much this whole second half of the year. I don't know if you'd want her to come back and then lose to Jade. Like Bianca just to me doesn't carry the same aura that Charlotte Flair does. And that's why beating Charlotte Flair matters. I don't I don't know what you do do with her uh, unless you just have her start off with like Bailey types of people and mid carters and go on like a Goldberg type of tear. That's kind of what we didn't want them to do. But now if Charlotte's out, maybe that's what you have to do because she's got to look strong, so to speak, more than just what she does physically. And I don't, you debut her in the rumble. Sure. But if she has her match at mania, I think she has to win that match. Um, to make a statement. So, man, I, I don't know. Well, that's the other My, way. I mean, you could have, you know, you could have Jade win and then Bianca beat her for the title in the next year. But just like she did with Becky, basically. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even booking two years out. Type yeah. of stuff. I'm just talking about this this year. No, maybe, I don't right. know. Maybe maybe you de- maybe you debut her the the Raw after Mania now. Like maybe you just. Oh, don't, interesting. Maybe you just don't. Maybe you just don't force her into something and ha- have her make a surprise debut and does something I like that a lot more I mean you could have Becky you know beat Rhea for the title and she comes in and she's celebrating you know even you can even have her open the show and Jade just comes right out this will be mine this time next year or something like that like that would be pretty impactful in fact the women's division is so strong and it's it's been built up with so much talent You don't actually need her for the Royal Rumble. So I kind of like what you're saying there. I would debut her on the Raw after WrestleMania. Yeah, and and shoot, you could have her just go face-to-face with Becky, Bianca, like a lot of different people, and she doesn't have to jump into a title feud. Well, that's the thing. She comes in, she points to her, she's like, hey, I'm coming after you. You know, I'm going to work my way. I'm going to earn a title shot with you. So you don't do it immediately, but that's still the first confrontation that you get. You know what I mean? You get that big moment. All right. That's my only thought. No, it's a good thought. And I think uh, it may well be 
what they do. So look, folks, that was a supersized edition for you of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, WWE edition, because we have such a, I think, pretty cool, actually, schedule set for you through the end of 2023. Let's go ahead and review it once more. Of course, this was your penultimate WWE episode of the year. We will be back on Thursday with an AEW and NXT show. And then this Friday, we will have a special WWE episode. We'll talk about everything that happened on SmackDown, and we will preview day one, which will be January 1st, the initial Raw of 2024. They have not announced it yet, which I thought was a little bit weird. Next week's Raw is going to be a best of show. Probably they don't want to tell anyone because they want you to tune in and maybe just stick around because you, you put on wrestling and it's Monday night. Whereas if they tell you it's a you know best of the year, maybe you won't stay around. But because that's happening, we're going to do our WWE episode on Friday. It gives you all Christmas weekend and all day Christmas day and really all day Tuesday as well uh, to listen to that WWE episode because on Tuesday, by the end of the day, we'll come back with your 2023 year in review. We're going to talk about the biggest news, the top headlines, the funniest and best and most interesting moments and people and all that stuff. We did it last year. You guys absolutely loved it. We're bringing it back for 2023. Next Thursday, your AEW World's End Ultimate Preview will also wrap up the year in NXT on Thursday. And then Saturday, your AEW World's End Instant Analysis. That's December 30th to wrap up the year, which means the first episode of 2024 will be the day one analysis and probably whatever happens on that SmackDown preceding it. So three episodes this week, three episodes next week, and then holy shit, 2024 is here. That's what's coming up on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Let me also remind you that the 2023 Getting Over Awards, aka the Meaties, are headed your way soon. Nominations will go down throughout this entire week on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Be sure to reply to those tweets if you have nominees you want us to include. Do not forget to do that. Also, don't forget to vote for Getting Over as Best Wrestling Podcast in the Sports Podcast Awards. You can find that ballot on our Twitter feed at Getting Overcast. I would appreciate all of your support in voting for the show, and certainly Chris would as well. On the way out, let's hit you with those reminders. Yeah, follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for all of those things I just told you. Please also remember... It's all about... So leave a five-star rating for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. And don't forget, I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well, because for $5 a month or 50 for the entire year, you can become an official getting overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Sign up. You get bonus audio the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling and you get exclusive news posts. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. As I said, it was indeed a supersized WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. I hope we left you fulfilled and your ear holes stuffed. For Vintage Chris Vanini, this is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now. Bye for now.